Magic Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. That's hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. And as a lot of you know, I've uh, talked with the publisher Lenny on the podcast before, including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon, and uh, seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft, which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk Record on this. Welcome to Magic Without Fears. I'm Frater RC. And today I'm talking to Jorge. Hello, Jorge. Hello. Am I World. saying that right? I guess I, there's not really another way yeah, to say it, is there? Yeah, you did. I'm just, surprised just, you, you, you got it. That's pretty yeah, good. Well, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a Spanish speaker, but... I try. Well, you got it. You got it. You got it, brother. <clears throat> well, let's, um, this is our first time talking, uh, though we've been going back and forth on the, on the webs, uh, uh, here and there in different places, sometimes a little punchy trying to suss, suss each other out as, as people do on Facebook and Instagram, all these nonsensical places of human gathering. And it's always best I find to try and really, you know, I was talking to an old occultist, a uh, British guy, on a on a thing and then i just you know we I, I just took it to the dms and asked him some questions and he was shocked he was like wow i thought most people of your generation just want to like take the piss out of me in the comments or and then run away as soon as i there's a real conversation I'm like my yeah. generation man how old do you think i am jesus no <laughs> like you know plus i was raised right I, I i like getting to know the real person and not just cause uh a firestorm in comment sections though i've do that i guess occasionally here and there so when did you uh when did you first come aware of the the podcast oh your podcast uh probably when i said about a year ago probably about a year ago i don't know it's like it's kind of funny it's like we all kind of know of each other even though we don't know each other yeah and eventually something that you know kind of shares something else and you just happen to like get hooked on it which is what happened with you for me you know where like i forgot who i think aaron shared something and then i just like oh that's pretty cool just um you know it's like he has a patreon to support this guy <laughs> i don't give you much but i always forget you're uh you're even on the patreon which is cool thanks folks more people should join the patreon yes I'll, yes. I'll, you know, I, I, I yeah. Support the there. colors. 
people can join it they can support the podcast it's it's great to support this thing um the podcast mostly a labor of love of course because i think it's important to dialogue and you know uh, i love the interview style podcast as well but we already have so many of those that are really good you know the 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 free speech banter say what you want say what thou wilt podcast didn't really seem to exist in the occult world so i, I you know i accidentally took on that mantle i guess but speaking of excellent interview podcasts you you asked me to listen to the is it uh laura yeah laura davila yeah yeah on glitch bottles so i did that today and you said uh, as a way we could maybe find that as a jumping off point to our mutual interests oh brother we have so many it's like i don't know where <clears> you want me to start um, the reason why I asked you to listen to that one is because I agreed a lot of her points, but I kind of disagree, well, not disagree, but I think that it should be better explained. Um, it could because, have been longer, but I always well, feel that way about Glitch Bottle, of well, course. Yeah, for sure. And there are some Glitch Bottles go like twice than the length of hers. And, you know, the, and then the thing is that she's like people up in the north, they were kind of left without a lot of education. And then we just went rogue and look with like she did. It's like, you know, what do they call her? Like a Santeria de Rancho or something like that. Something of the Brujeria de Rancho. Brujeria de Rancho. Yeah, there you go. And so what's so, that mean for us non-Spanish speakers? I'm I'm guessing witchcraft of the farm. Of the ranch. Well, I would did I want didn't want I, I was trying to be clever. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, I think uh, and also it's like she is obviously still kind of like trying to um, kind of like settle herself within the English language and within the uh, American culture. And so the El Rancho, it basically means kind of like kind of middle of nowhere. It's like they're kind of like a province. They're not really quite city people. And so in a way, it's kind of a derogatory term for some people, but she kind of owns it, which is awesome. <laughs> And uh, yeah. she owns it, and also her, her the way she practices uh, her witchcraft is also she owns it. You know, it's like she was saying, it's like by whatever means necessary, with very little things, and we're gonna make it happen. And that's admirable for sure. I really loved uh, the interview. I thought she she was great. Um, I think you know, obviously, I, for those who don't know my some of my views, I agree with her fully about <laughs> about the idea of gatekeeping and closed traditions um i think it's nonsensical uh for the most part yeah. with some caveats with some some footnotes probably a lot of footnotes on that subject to be honest but yeah uh if people want to know more listen to the glitch bottle episode with her but the idea like she points out something that's very uh, real for me as a as a as a as a child of immigrants right or or third third generation my parents were you know, she talks about how she would hate her for her kids or grandkids to grow up and and just because they they were born in America be then cut off from the tradition that she in many ways used to bring them there. Well, she yeah. accredits Santa Muerte with getting her to America, but for the rest of it, she she uh, she uh, focuses on the other brujeria aspects of her practice. And she doesn't want her kids and grandkids and great grandkids to feel cut off from that and pointed out that, you know, it's how you're raised very much. Right. And uh, that's something I'm very sensitive to as, 
as the you know and my family mostly left ireland and uh you know irish people do not take kindly to the irish diaspora if you're irish but born outside of ireland they can be very very nasty uh not all of them most of them are awesome but but you'll find find a lot of nastiness like when you go back there if you're you're often advised if you when you go visit Ireland, don't let them know your family comes from there don't let people know that when, if you're getting in a conversation with someone and you're sitting down and you're actually talking then it's fine but don't don't generally let people know that because someone might just be like hey i'm gonna fuck this person up just because they're they're a blow-in now or they're coming to like revel in in uh the culture that we suffered to preserve and i've uh, encountered a ton of that in my years there so i'm very I, i'm sympathetic to what she's saying uh the culture is not based on where you're born or what your what your names are or even who your parents are she she raised she i think she's talking about raising her kid mexican but her kid is half white and half asian half chinese yeah. but yeah, yeah. She, her kid's fully mexican because she is her mother and she raised her. I was like, that's beautiful. It's nice to hear some common sense <laughs> on this topic. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. I'm I'm part Chinese, even though like both of my parents and my grandparents that were born in Mexico City. But you know, one of my great grandmothers, she was from China. She <laughs> that's went awesome. to, Mexico to work on the railroad. <laughs> so it's like there are some Chinese Mexican. I'm also part Irish. Like like uh, I, I didn't even know we came into ancestry.com and then it's like you're like two three percent Irish I was like what the freak <laughs> and then I learned about the San Patricios up in Chihuahua where they fought during the Mexican war during the Mexican Revolutionary War and then it's like oh that, that, that kind of makes sense but um what, yeah, what, yeah. who were they the San Patricios uh, I have no idea how they ended up there, but there were Irish and some Welsh and I think some Scottish people that ended up in uh, kind of by uh, the border of Mexico, kind of where the Alamo is. And they were there working. I don't know what they were doing. I don't know the story very well. Some people know, know it way better than I do. But the Mexican Revolutionary War broke out and the Americans instead of being like real pricks, and the Irish people, like you said, kind of like gangs in New York, it's like some people are divided and some people are like settled. And so the Irish and Welsh people had to like choose sides. It's like either you're going to fight on the side of the Mexicans, or you're going to fight on the side of the Americans, but you're you have to choose a side because you cannot just stand by. And they chose the side of the Mexicans. <laughs> and so they fought and they, they beat the Americans in the Alamo and then Santana kind of like went haywire and then, you know, Mexico lost. Um, but, uh, for, you know, for, for all point, all the point of the story is that the Irish somehow mixed with the Mexicans and, you know, here I am <laughs> with 3%, 3% Irish blood. It's not a bad mix. Like, you know, it might, you know, my, my Irish family's part of the black Irish, which is just Irish that mixed with Spanish sailors. So the, the Spanish Hispanic uh, blood in the Irish seems to be a, you know, not a bad combination. <laughs> it's just even more dramatic and, uh, and uh, fiery passion. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, We've I strong don't, feelings about things. I didn't even know. I just like, I thought it was like, in fact, there was a professor of mine that 
he used to tell me, it's like, where are you from? It's like, well, I'm from Mexico. And it's like, I came here to the United States when I was five years old. But I told him, it's like, I was born in Mexico. He's like, you're not Mexican. And it's like, what do you mean? <laughs> he's like, I remember Mexico. He's like, I know where I'm born. And then he's like, yeah, but you're not Mexican. He's like, what does that mean? He's like, you're something else. It's like, you have green eyes and, you know, you think differently. And, you know, somebody really educated you since a very early age in a strange way, which is not Mexican. And then, you know, it's like, he kind of, hit the nail on the head because um mostly I'm like 45% like Sephardic Jew. And then you are. Yeah, 45% Sephardic Jew from my mother's side and from my dad's side. And then a lot of Mexican, some Irish, a little bit of black, <laughs> a little bit Chinese, a little bit of everything, even though yeah. Mexican. <laughs> yeah. And and but where were you born? I was born in Mexico City. Okay. And you live where now? I live now in Utah. Right. Because there's a, there's a, we've discussed Mormonism before on, on the, the interwebs. Yes, um, sir. Yeah. And you, were you raised Mormon? Nope. No. No, it was uh, kind of a weird thing. I guess we can get into this part of the conversation. So we can go. Actually, I'd like to first note, maybe we could stick with the glitch bottle. Um, uh, again, her name's. Uh, Laura Davila. Laura. Laura, yeah. What what else uh, did you like about her episode um, and what she said about the, the tradition, which I assume you're familiar with? I am, but for me, it was different. I mean, my tradition was more Sephardic. I mean, she touches up on the Sephardic kind of like brujos, kind of like witchcraft, because it's kind of interesting. It's like, um, I don't know how much you want to hear about the history of the Sephardic Jews. The Sephardic Jews were pretty pretty witchy even when they got here. And there are a lot of chronicles uh, from Fries, for example, that settled here in, uh, well, they settled in Mexico. And a lot of them were, were they were conversos. So they were Sephardic Jews that converted into Catholicism. And that's what they, that was the only way that we could survive. You cannot just come into this, come into Mexico, being New Spain and say, I am a Sephardic Jew. If you did that, you're dead. <laughs> so you had to somehow convert. And keep it in the download. But some people knew about it, but they tried to suppress it, or they kept like my family travel all around and tried to keep it somehow alive in different ways. But never settled in one place, and so no one quite really quite figures out what the heck you're doing. So they don't have enough time to them to for them to figure out how to kill you. <laughs> and so the thing that I liked about her, it was like, uh, by whatever means necessary. But for us, witchcraft was a lot more elaborate. Like she touches a little, well, she kind of hints to the book of San Cipriano, the book of San Cyprian, on like making the inks and making the tools and making the paper. Well, when you're a fray or you're a priest, you do have the time to do that. You know, you do have the time to make your own ink. And sometimes you don't have access to buying inks. And sometimes you have to make your own. And so, obviously, the, I think the Book of Subsepian was not one book. It was probably three books that were compiled together. Because sometimes it gets very Kabbalistic. Sometimes it gets uh, kind of like um, native witchcraft. And sometimes it just gets kind of like all propaganda. This is of the devil, Lucifer, and all this weird stuff. So it, it seems like whoever wrote it, it was compiled from three different, in my opinion, from three different traditions. 
And so I have family that, you know, were priests. In fact, I have an uncle who is a Jesuit priest. He's still a priest up in like middle of nowhere, Mexico, where the cartels are. And so I definitely sympathize with um, with the thing she talks about. But, you know, we were kind of more in the cushy end of the spectrum. So we were able to practice and study a lot more. Whereas them, is, whereas uh, the way she put it, it's like, you know, just just do it. <laughs> yeah. It was so was there much of a any transmission that you're aware of uh, from uh, of magical or Kabbalistic teachings from the Savardic? uh folks into mexico and the different magical traditions there oh yeah for sure you totally see it i mean when uh for example um alexander was asked was to uh, was comparing how certain salamonic salamonic entities compared to some uh brujeria entities and it's like oh they're very similar is because they come from the same source Hmm. You know, like uh, you have the Book of San Cipriano, which talks about the same thing, the Icuridrions, uh, the Book of Carlo Magno. Uh, you know, you have books that are obviously uh, derived from Salomonic books. <clears throat> I mean, in, but then these, the, the difference is that they adopt, they had to transform the, for example, San Michael became a certain saint or saint. Uh, Gabriel, Angel Gabriel, had to transform himself into other saints, and you know, therefore, for you to be able to conduct your magic, you ask or you make petitions to the saints, or you try to get familiars through the use of saints. But they're not really saints; they're just uh, attributions of a particular planetary correspondence. Like, for example, uh, the, the thing she was talking about. Uh, one specific saying that equates to uh to Mars. He's like, you know, kind of Colton Donnelly should go to Samael. Uh, but Samael transformed into some whatever saint, you know, that they use. And of course, everybody is like doing their own thing. So the saint is gonna take on different identities or or different things. It's like I don't know if you've been to Spain or you've been to Mexico that are like patron saints uh churches in every town. And that is very Sephardic, where you know you have a particular town dedicated to a particular entity or sovereignty, and it doesn't really need to have a one single name. It can just be whatever name, as long as you're able to attribute the the characteristics of the particular entity into the into that church or saint or angel or whatever you want to call it. So yeah, it's like you know what she says. Like it does make sense, but I, I'm able to perceive more beyond that because I'm able to know a little bit more of the history behind all of this stuff. Yeah, very, very, very cool. Um, yeah, I know I haven't really spent time in Mexico, not since I was two. Um, apparently, you know, I was there you were in Mexico, yeah. when I was two. Um, yeah. I've been to. Uh, have we been to Spain? Sort of. I've been to Mallorca. Sort right. of. Yeah. But everyone there speaks German. <laughs> right on. No, I've been no, to I a lot. Some, of- I had some good times in Mallorca when I was uh, in Zelator in 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 uh, 97. And it was cool. I was staying in this villa outside of Palma. 
and it's really it's great it's such a magical city especially because of you know the blessed Raman Lul uh has his statue there and it's, you know very much dedicated to the work he did for it was pretty humanitarian for his time i think um you know he still had his views but yeah hail bop was in the sky so when i was i had my own veranda in the villa and hail bop remember the comet okay right. yeah you remember the big comet that was just lighting up the sky it was amazing every night um, during the ritual work on my veranda like three decks up looking up hail bop it was a beautiful time i really enjoyed seeing that little bit of spain but yeah Hopefully, beautiful. I've been to my, the food there is amazing. The pastries they make there, the inside malas, man, they're like so awesome. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I've been trying to replicate them for for years. I've never been able to. Oh wow! Yeah, they make great food in Mallorca, for sure. That's cool. That's cool that you. Yeah, yeah. I don't recall. I just don't recall. It was a long time ago. Um. <clears throat> yes, but so are you? Are you Mormon? Or were you Mormon? Were you I am. Mormon? Yeah, I am Mormon. Yeah, I am Mormon. And when did that happen? Uh, when did that happen? I don't know. If you want to hear the story? I'm, I'm going to tell. I'm going to tell a little bit about myself. When I was around five or six, I used to bug my dad a lot because he used to make talismans and used to do like magic, but kind of on the on the lowdown. And I used to ask him about a lot of questions, just like that. You know, it's like, what metal are you using? Does the matter? Does the metal matter? What does the symbol mean? What does the name mean? And so I used to ask him a bunch of questions, and he used to answer. He answered me, but there were some times where he told me, "It's like, boy, I swear on oath not to tell this." So he was in like some magical French Masonic organizations in Mexico, huh. and so. There was a time in which, like, he just kind of got aggravated at me, <laughs> and he used to take me walking, um, like, kind of like a forest south of Mexico City, and he used to walk for hours, and I don't know why he did that. I mean, I mean, I, I, that later I got it, but we used to walk for hours. He used to walk ahead of me, and then one time he turned around and he saw me staring at a gigantic rock, and then he looked at me and he said. What did it say? I was like, what the heck? <laughs> He's like, what are you talking about? And then my dad is like, uh, I know the rock talked to you. What did it say? And then it's like, how do you know it talked to me? He's like, because I know. And then I told him, he's like, well, he told me that it was sad. And then I was like, okay, uh, I'm gonna walk ahead for about 30 minutes. I will come back and you tell me more about the conversation, okay? And I was like, rocks don't talk that. <laughs> like, are you freaking insane? But, you know, I paid attention to him. So I sat next to the rock. And he told me a story. He told me that it, the reason why it was sad, it was because it missed the river. That there was an earthquake. Mexico City was always, or has always had earthquakes. And there was an earthquake. And it used to um, sit by the riverbed. Um, up the up the hill, and then but the, because of the earthquake, the rock uh, fell. So I was five and six. I had no idea if the story was true or not. But then my dad came back and he said, "Do you know the do you notice the shape of that rock?" And it's like it's around. It's like how do you think rocks get round? And it's like because it's because of water that the, the rocks get round. So you may think that the rock did not talk to you, but 
you knew stuff about the rock that you did not know. And I will show you something else. And then he showed me, he analyzed the rock and he said, it's like, this is the mark where it used to be the river. And this is the mark that was in the air. And then it was, I was shocked because my dad kind of proved that I was talking to a rock. And then after that experience, I started having dreams of that forest. I have a goosebumps. <laughs> and um, where I saw spirit, where it was basically like a hand and I was terrified of it. And then eventually I got used to the hand. And then the hand kind of guided me throughout my life. So I did not know it at that time, but my dad basically introduced me to him, to my first familiar. And I was six years old. In fact, uh, Ms. Davila calls them spirits. Um, I don't know what you want to call them. They have many, uh, they have many different names. In, uh, in Nahuatl, for example, the Aztec language, they call them Nahual. Um, in the Sephardic Jewish uh, tradition, sometimes they call it Dende. And so you have many, the familiars have many different names. And so I had my first Dende. And as a result, um, I have throughout my whole life, I have had premonitions, advice uh, of multiple things I needed to do. And in one of them, I used to live in Hollywood. And that's kind of like where I spent most of my adolescent, young adult life. And I used to go uh, to engineering school full time. I used to work full time and I had a heavy rock band on the side. Oh, awesome. Um, we used to uh, tour Sunset Strip and play gigs here and there all over LA, tour a couple of times. And I was exhausted. One time I just got down on my knees and I was just like, God, it's like, you need to help me out because I'm exhausted. You know, it's like, I cannot continue like that. And I did that and I went to Mexico, tried to go to the Catholic church. I hated it. Where to the, I used to live very close to the Scientology building, the blue one. Man, I hated those guys with a, with a passion. And I tried many different things. I had a, a friend who later became a girlfriend who did the Hare Krishna thing. I didn't like that either. Until eventually, out of desperation, I guess my familiar kind of felt sorry for me and said, walk. And I was uh, working a morning shift for, I used to be an event coordinator for like media events. So I was doing one for Nickelodeon. And I have to be there like at 4 a.m. I finished the whole event with a bunch of screaming kids around 1 p.m. I just wanted to go to bed. And I just like was about to put the key, my key into the building, into, into the lock of the building, and the voice said, Walk. I was like, I don't usually hear voices. It's kind of weird. I'm just going to go to bed because I'm super exhausted. And so I walked into the lobby and the voice sternly said, Walk. I was like, Oh crap, you're not going to shut up, are you? And it's like, Walk. So I turned around, got outside of my building, and it said, Left. All right. So I made a left. Uh, long story short, I walked for about an hour. I ended up right in the corner of USC, kind of like the northwest corner of USC. And I stopped hearing the voice for like about 30 minutes. And then so it's like, man, this is such a waste of time. I just walked for like an hour and I was super exhausted. I was just going to cross the street and take the bus back home. And then the voice said, turn around. 
So I turned around and there was a gigantic stone that said in Spanish, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And of course, being the rebel guy that I was, I was like, you know, forget this. I'm not going to pay attention to that. That is such a young church. Like, what are you, like, who cares? So that night, I was kind of dating, kind of seeing this girl who was like a, kind of like a Mormon, but not really Mormon. And so she told me, it's like, you cannot disregard this prompting. It's like, people pray for these promptings and you just like completely disregard it. Like, it's nothing. It's like, you cannot do that. And it's like, I'm going to take you to the was at LA Visitor Center and show you something. And then so I showed up. Then I learned that Joseph Smith was a Freemason and Brigham Young was a Freemason and William Woodrow was a Freemason. I was like, okay, I can jive with this. And then they showed me um, kind of like how the quorums were formed. I was like, man, this religion is so Masonic and this is what I've been looking for. Because I I was really heavy deep into um into the GD. And I was really heavy into uh, my Masonic Lodge because we used to meet in our Masonic Lodge. And so I thought I was like, okay, I'll jive with this. And so I, I joined, it's kind of funny. It's like, I walked in, it's like, hey, I want to become a member. It's like, I don't know, you don't understand. It's like, you need to listen to the missionaries. And I was like, okay, I'll put up with this. And so you have to like 18, 19 year old girls trying to tell me about scripture. <laughs> And I told him, it's like, that's not how it is. It's like, this is what the Bible says. It's like, oh, well, how do you know? Because I read the freaking Bible like three times, and, you know, from front to back. It was like, you know, I know it pretty well. And so they used to call me for like biblical advice, <laughs> you know, when they had their investigations. And that's how I became a Mormon, just like, just following the, the, uh, my petition from 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 a familiar so that's how we became a Mormon or I guess in Mormonism we call it the spirit yeah <clears throat> I mean that's that's how Cat Stevens became Yusuf Islam isn't it what what was that Cat Stevens had the same thing he was literally called a voice directed him through the city and next thing he knew he was standing outside of a mosque and so Cat Stevens went in and was like he didn't know why he was there but the so this voice brought him there and that uh, he had a revelation and converted to islam and became use of islam and the rest is history right. he's a great voice i've listened to his albums uh, i think i think his his, uh, his other cup was the first album he put out as use of islam when he came out of musical retirement because uh, he gave right. up playing music for like 15 what 20 years something like that yeah and it was it came out when i was living in belfast so i was listening to it as i'd walk around that dangerous town or dangerous parts of that town and uh it was it was beautiful i was like this is great uh, everyone's bitching about the fact that he became muslim or changed his name or whatever which dear lord you know <laughs> let people let people do whatever religion they want right you know especially if they're following the positive as the positive version of the religion and not the uh say a f more afflicted interpretations that arise within every faith usually right um yeah, yeah. You know, most people aren't extremists much less violent ones so it's like leave the guy alone man let him let him do his his thing yeah i don't know why people attack religion so bad it's like you know everybody makes out of themselves, whatever they make out of themselves, whatever, you, whatever and whatever, regardless of what label you put in yourself. You know, there are like some really great Mormons, there are some really bad Mormons, there are some really great pagans, there are some really bad pagans. Uh, 
really good friend of mine. He's a chaos magician and he has been like that for many years. And even though I'm a Mormon, <laughs> he's, he still puts up with me. And sometimes we talk about crazy things and we have known each other before, you know, for many, many, many years. Uh, I have friends that are OTO, chaos, GD. Um, I have met all the quorum of the 12 apostles and a couple of prophets of the Mormon church. You know, so I've hang out with everyone. <laughs> So, so, uh, so you're a Mason. Um, uh, yeah, I guess I say that, yeah. you, you've been, been through the, the blue lodge or whatever. Um, are you still practicing and in, in part of a lodge or, or has that given way to Mormonism? No, no, no. Um, I used to love my lodge in California, but then Utah is such a weird, weird place. Like seriously, uh, I don't. I, I have never been able to find a lodge here in Utah that I liked, hmm. and I have really, really tried for years. In fact, I tried recently. I was working up in Virginia, and I wanted to have a, a current dues card because I wanted to go to the Fredericksburg, Virginia uh, lodge because um, somebody posted once facebook friends of friends that how uh the altar still of george washington still sits there uh a bible where uh, uh marquis de lafayette you know signed and also george washington probably touched it or he signed signed by him and so i really wanted to go to the fredersburg fredersburg virginia lodge and so i pay my dues up in california and i went to the fredersburg virginia lodge and it was amazing uh, I got to uh, participate in a third degree. It was great. It was great. And so, but then I come back to Utah and I was like, oh crap. You know, it's like, I wanted to join and all we talk about is like nonsense, kind of like chicken and beef. There's no essence. And I've, I've looked and probably about 15 years ago, 10 or 15 years ago, I hooked up with a couple of Freemasons that, um, that actually did like the esoteric part of Freemasonry. But for some reason or another, they just didn't like me or I don't know. So they just blocked me on Facebook and then talking ass about me. <laughs> but I'm cool, man. It's like, I don't care. You know, and then they, they wanted to start a G Lodge here. And I really didn't have the energy or the mental capacity to like be a one no or, or no at all hierophant. And so I just, it never happened. Um because you know, I got my five six up there in the Monestra temple, so I'm able to open up something here. But the the which know, temple? The Monestra, Chris Monestra temple. All right, so you're with yeah, cool, awesome. Yeah, I was I was with Chris for like about four or five years. Did you ever meet uh, Damian Murphy? Uh, name sounds familiar, but I cannot think. Yeah, of he I I believe he learned with with Chris Monestra. Maybe it was also a bit of Laura Jennings. Anyway, um, yeah. Anyway, that's cool. Yeah, Chris Manastra. Uh, you know, uh, did uh, what was she like working with in your, for for you? <laughs> she. Was, I never uh, met her. I never met her, but I. You know. Uh, I don't know. You can have many different opinions about Chris. Um, uh, some people think very highly of her. Some people don't. For those who don't know, she was Regardi, Israel Regardi's partner. Yeah, yeah. I, I I helped her move her bed one, so I I I saw where the action happened. <laughs> you touched 
You touched the bed. That... Touch the bed where the action happened, I guess. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, but I learned a lot from her. I don't regret the time that I was uh, that I was under her. It was it was awesome. Yeah, she certainly taught us a lot. And sometimes he was um. Some people thought there was uh, she was a little too much. That record that she asked a lot from people that she should have taught more. That she should have been more lenient, but um, I worked a lot in that temple, and I enjoyed it, and I treasure those experiences. I don't regret a single minute that I was not there. That I was there. Yeah, I, yeah, I feel the same way about my experience. It's so easy, given that the sort of wonderful variety that there actually exists, even within the Golden Dawn tradition. Now, I think it's not a bad thing that there's variety. Um, yeah, but you were you were with Sink, right? Yes, yes, my uh, my my estranged godfather. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, so, uh, so stories about that. I was just like, oh my gosh, did that really happen? <laughs> like, like, yeah. I mean, uh, I think things went things changed years later, or well, maybe not. There's this. We can't get into it now because, but yeah, like no, there was there was. Very well. First of all, he was not as big a part of things as people real think, right? Because, mm. you know, he was most of the time living on his own, outside and disconnected from all the temples. And, you know, he he did uh, keep trying to to step down, but but kept getting called back to sort of take charge because no one else really wanted to do it. I mean, even it, it, one of the interesting stories of Mathers and Westcott is when it came time to reconsecrate. Um, do this. I think it was on the second time they had to reconsecrate the vault and you know take the oath on the cross. Neither of them wanted to do it. I think that at some point they had both done it, or maybe only one of them had, but neither of them wanted to. So people have a very big misunderstanding about what leadership in magical temples or organizations looks like. Um, and especially in the Golden Dawn, like the like the titles like honored or very honored or greatly honored, those are not. Those are not titles of really of adore adoration. Those are titles of those are yokes, yokes of labor. Yeah. <laughs> like sure. it means yeah. when everyone else goes home, you got five hours of more shit to do. Um, yeah. It means before everyone gets there, you're up before dawn. You know, yeah. that's what that means. Uh, and so what do you get for that? People call it very honored. So nothing. <laughs> there's a lot, there was a lot of days I would have rather had a few more hours sleep than have people call me very honored for at RC. You know what I mean? It's like oh, yeah. reason exactly doing, the reason people end up in those roles of leadership is literally because no one else will do it. Yeah. Right. Or is willing to do it. A lot of people want titles for some fucking reason um, that yeah. st I still can't figure out because because you know, uh, on honors without accomplishment mean are are beyond meaningless. They're detrimental to you, every aspect of your mental health, your soul, and your body. Right. Um, so I hope that changes at some point because people are a bit fixated on that stuff. Well, actually, up here there have been a couple of people that have wanted me to start something, and then it starts and it kind of dies off because. I'm not very passionate about trying to be the hierophant, like you just said. You know, it's like you yeah. swear oaths on the five equals six, and you know, you kind of like want to live up to them. 
but at the same time it's like how much of your heart are you really going to put in there even though you swore an oath you know to try to um to perpetuate the tradition and yeah. so and so it's always it's it's hard to uh to maintain it but it was certainly a very interesting social experiment on how the religions get formed and why do they get formed and why do people get so embezzled into into charlatans as opposed to like real esoteric teachers and so you know it's like people like the show people like the show people like the attention and people like the promise the empty promises and of course if they're empty and they like the show there's no real meat behind it and so that is why I, I found that it's like, oh, this is why people fall into like cults and, you know, personalities like uh, those evangelists and, you know, people who have more of a show than real through meaning or purpose behind their work or their lessons or their knowledge. And so that is something I learned from, from those experiences, you know, it's like, I'm just going to give you, you know, the meat. I am not going to give you a show. I am. I'm, I'm not, I don't have to like wear a cape for me to like show you the, who the heck I'm supposed to be or who do you think I am? And, you know, it's like, I'm just going to show you the meat and show you the door. If you want to step through it. Awesome. If not, you know, it's up to you. It's like, well, you don't really quite give me what I need. So bye. It's like, all right, <laughs> good life. Thank you very much for leaving me alone. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I always after after I left uh, Zinc and them, uh, or after the t I closed the temple. I mean, we we were our own temple very much, right? So, like you know, you don't even you didn't even meet Zinc if you uh, in the outer order. Of course not. You wouldn't even meet him. Yeah, uh, maybe you'd see him here once or twice, depending on how many events you went to internationally um but yeah no idea of who they were and also like the leadership of the inner orders kept quiet so most we didn't know who was really running things or in charge you just had a group of a bunch of adepts who were all generally really awesome people and our temple in vancouver was started by a uh, frater ka Ninavashadrach. um and so he started that he was of course um you know came up from la back to canada um, and started that temple and then, you know, trained some adepts. Those adepts trained people like me and Martin Thibault. And uh, and then we trained, uh, Martin went off to Montreal to do his thing. And I stayed at t Vancouver and trained people there. And then the adepts of the adept above me left. So I was the guy running it. And then eventually it came time to close it. And uh, well, the fire department let us know <laughs> the illegal construction <laughs> had had hit. We knew it was in it was inevitable. Um, the construction we did of this in this three thousand square foot loft was incredible. Like we just had the best place. Um, I, I and like we were saying, this goes back to what you're saying. Like no matter how many varieties there are, and maybe some orders are better at this or better at that. I would never trade my experience for any of them. I wouldn't trade my experience to go to, you know, even to go back in time to the original order. I wouldn't, not a, not, not a chance. Partly is because I really like what some of the modern orders have done uh, with uh, taking the teachings seriously, teaching, taking the spirits seriously about developing things magically in line with the historical tradition that we have and that comes out of the grimoires. Um, 
because that's very much what Golden Dawn teaching is, is preparation for working with grimoires. A lot of people think that grimoires and Golden Dawn have nothing to do each to each other and they're completely separate systems and Golden Dawn magicians never work with grimoires, which is just, I think people are just saying that because they're trying to be polemical. I think they're trying to like cause fights or they're trying to just shit on others to make themselves seem better. Right. Like, oh, everyone, no one else knows the good stuff except for us. But just it's so silly, given all the grimoires that Mathers translated and the exactly. fact that he but he couldn't just start up a school. Mathers and Westcott couldn't start up just a Rosicrucian magic school and right away be like, OK, we're going to teach you how to work with Almadel, Key of Solomon and the Goetia. You couldn't just take a bunch of Victorian upper middle class folks and start teaching them that stuff out of the blue. Right. There had to be preparatory work. And that's where they did such an amazing job taking all these. It was sort of like the 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 icing on the cake of Renaissance syncretism is how I see it. Yeah, yeah I, 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 to, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Yep. It's like, you know, why did he translate it? He wasn't going to use it. Yeah, for sure. No. Yeah. Plus, like, if you do the work seriously and the initiations are being done seriously with all the tools and all that stuff and and just if it's just being done well then the spirits show up the you know the be the gods the forces the energies the names and images yeah. all that stuff it, they come alive and they do come alive in your sphere and they they put you through it no matter you know even if i think even if you were that's why that's even if you were at the startup temple that you just made with your friends um and macgyvered the whole thing because there's no other options nearby and you do that hard enough you do serious enough the the forces will show up and and put you through it. Oh, I testify a lot for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's like, um, that is the consensus in the Golden Dawn tradition for people who might be wondering or thinking that there's still some lineage war or something. There never was, and that's never been a serious thing. I agree. Yeah, for me, like uh, solitary work, it works sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't. It depends on what I do. But uh, for sure, I think when I really started to get the GD. Or from the grade of Salater, things started to happen. And they were never as strong as as, as when I was uh, invested in the work. Well, once I, got, I came back from my Salater initiation and I had one of like the most lucid dreams that I ever had. And, you know, I was kind of like somewhere where, I, so an initiation happened in a language that I didn't understand. And I was sitting in some ancient temple and gates opened and, I was there, bro. <laughs> you know, it's like I was peeing in my pants trying to grab a little notebook to write things with. But uh, I was there and alone. That has never happened. I have tried, but it has never happened. The GD work definitely does open things that you cannot open on your own. Like, I mean, at least, at least for me. Well, yeah, even, I mean, just the fact that the uh, initiations are, are sort of have all this fuel from the Enochian system that that that's there in in the elemental grades and eh, I guess they're still there in the in the five six but I guess you could debate to what extent um and you could debate to what extent the neophyte but in the elemental grades is such a huge part and that's just also one of the smallest parts with all the other god forms and invocations and spirits that are active within the temple it's like it's so much not to mention the geometry and the movements and it's 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 of course so much is going on it's it's really hard to conceive of um yeah i think that's what's uh wonderful about it is this uh 
And you couldn't have done that. Well, you couldn't really can create something like that and have it be effective without the guidance of spirit and spirits like, you know, the angels that transmitted like it's Raphael. I think in a lot of the cases, a lot of the stuff in the Golden Dawn was transmitted by Raphael, just like in the Enochian system. Then probably in most grimoires, a lot of the stuff comes from some of the main archangels. What Do you have any uh, grimoires that are, are favorites of yours? Um, there was a point at which I just stopped reading grimoires. Um, I just kind of went on my own instead of writing my own stuff. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I started with the book of San Cyprian, uh, a little bit of black magic and my rebel teenage years. And so, but fortunately my familiar was always there to bail me out of my, my this. And, uh, my familia led me to, uh, to many different teachers in many different places, which was kind of amazing. I met, uh, for example, I studied for a couple of years under Stephen Holler. Uh, Stephen Holler was the one that introduced me to Chris Monestro. And so kind of like people that knew regarding person. Just uh, what years are we talking here in, in L.A.? Was this going on? I graduated, I think, in 1997 from high school. And my high school used to be like four or three blocks away from PA, from Philosophical Research Society. Oh, so cool. Yeah, and so I used to walk up the street to Los Feliz Boulevard, and I used to watch it. I used to see it all the time, and I used to, like, uh, stare at the statues and read the uh, stuff that was in the statues, and I used to read sometimes the schedules. It's like, yeah, we're here on Saturdays. So it's like, all right, cool. Stephen Holler's free. I am broke. You got. I got a date with myself and Stephen Holler to just listen to him talk. And so he just talked about Carl Jung, like, Pretty much twice a month, I think. So I got to learn a lot about Carl Jung and about the Theosophist and about the Golden Dawn. You name it. Stephen Holler is like a. Even at that time, he was a library of knowledge. You know, it was like he just outpours knowledge to no end, and I was just there like a, like a little rock on the corner, just absorbing it. You know, sometimes pitching in, you know, for like, for like his donation that he put up but he was always kind enough to just teach for free, which was awesome. And so fortunately I have, you know, always kind of like followed whatever my familiar says and I just bump into cool stuff. I don't know why here in Utah, there's no cool stuff. <laughs> I'm sticking up to, I'm sticking to, I'm sticking up, but it's cool. You know, I kind of, I, I grew to like it. I, I don't, I don't complain that much. In fact, uh, the, the the terrain here really lends itself well for for the work that I've been doing that I've been doing since I left LA. You know, like the fact that we have rivers close by, uh, you have paths where you can like walk forever. Um, you can bike for miles and miles and miles and start talking to yourself. And there's a where where little is here. It's uh it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I thought it was beautiful. I got to spend just half a day in in Salt Lake City on a on a business trip to uh, uh, Vegas for a convention. So I was there with the coworkers, and my sister was there. Uh, we hired her to be our um, what is affectionately termed in the industry sometimes a a booth bitch. I don't know what that is. <laughs> you know, the girl who stands at the booth while you're off dealing with distributors and stuff like that. It's nice to have a girl oh, there to, to draw people in. To talk. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well. uh, she would be very proud of me for for not, not <laughs> pinching from that term. She she's she's a tough cookie. Um, 
but yeah so so we got to spend and it was beautiful then the the landscape around salt lake city and yeah the um it was cool cool little uh the the little the little shopping area built for the olympics you know <laughs> we, got, we got some of that oh, from our we had to build that for our olympics too it's just it was it was cool it was a I like the back. I like the city. Uh, what I saw of it, yeah, and the the cool. the mountains and the hills and all that. It's very familiar to me, being from Vancouver. Of course, it's nice to have all that. And LA is just such a whole other world. So, were you what what years were you in, initiating the Golden Dawn? Because I was in LA basically the, around the same the same time that you're talking, uh, and we were both sort of teenagers, just a couple years about two years apart. I think in 1999. Yeah, cool. 2000s. That's that's when like Chris Monastro finally told me, fine, you're not that crazy. We'll take you in. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but she, she had a PhD in uh, in psychology or something. So she picked your brain pretty good. And so, and they also, from my understanding, they, they like she used to grab us and speak for like an hour or two and um, talk about previous experiences of the temple, what are, the minutes of the temple for particular dates, who was kicked out, who are we bringing in, who is going to get investigated, and so on and so forth. And so um, I got to learn a lot from her and from the drama and all the cool stuff that was happening before I came in. Um, David Griffin, uh, um, Michael Craig. Uh, so a lot of cool stuff that I learned from, from like the years that I was not there. Yeah. Yeah. Did did uh did did Griffin learn from her? Yeah, for sure. But I think Griffin he definitely had an agenda even before he came into the into the temple. He can't. He he had an agenda. He knew exactly what he wanted, and then Morester kind of gave it to him, and everybody got pissed and took off <laughs> because nobody really liked him. He was just kind of like my understanding is he was like an egomaniac. He had an agenda, and he just. Nobody wanted to put up with him, so a lot of people just took off. But uh, then he just took off, and then so Monestra kind of was left there and still to carry the reins, and she carried along people like me, you know, and many other people that are still doing it to this day. People that are still, you know, carrying on her legacy in her temple and other temples that are in the surrounding area. So props to them, you know, that's great. Yeah. Um yeah, and Don. So Don was trained with her as well. Don did a lot of teaching, of course, in our order, and was sort of a honorary adept because uh, of his, yeah, frequent teachings in the early days of of our order. I never got to meet him, but I was called. I, I was called to do work for him when he was dying from cancer. So I was honored to be play that role in his life. I guess to get to do some, be part of a group ritual work for him when he was in his transitioning out of this life so yeah you live yeah. in texas huh you lived in texas then right i don't know i don't know yeah I mean, you lived in texas me no never i've never you been there no oh okay no i would just fly down to la and or drive down i drove like from 97 to 2003 i drove from vancouver la well over 30 times um half of those by myself so you know and lots of flights just to go to participate at the at the temple of isis down in down there um yeah go to bodai tree bookstores our order had a bookstore for quite a long time i, I don't remember what it was called though 
Um, yeah, long time ago. High school. Yeah, I remember. I remember the Bodhi tree. Yeah, it was cool. Bodhi tree was great. Yeah. Bodhi tree. Yeah. <laughs> That's where all the weirdos congregated. <laughs> we were there once. I. I and 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 uh, Kramer came. Was there from Fraser and or not from Fraser from seinfeld and asked one of the guy one of our guys <laughs> if he could teach him black magic <laughs> he joined our lodge only in la <laughs> he, he joined our lodge he uh he was uh yeah he, he was initiated i want to say three months or four months before i did into freemasonry oh wow yeah so he was in a lodge for for a while yeah what's his what's the actor's real name Michael Richards. Okay, I was I, I never got into Seinfeld. It wasn't my thing. I could never figure out what it was about. And now, as an adult, I'm told it was about nothing, and that's the point. <laughs> I missed that as a kid. I guess I don't know. I wasn't a big. I wasn't a TV watcher at all. That's for sure. Um, back then. So. That's very cool. Yeah, there's a lot of. I mean, L.A. is sort of. It's it's one of the things I keep wrestling with. Tell me what you think, because this relates to you you being in Salt Lake City now. The issue is, it really the best place to have a magical group is away from like major cities, <laughs> or it, ideally away from any city, but definitely away from major cities. The problem is, the only place you really can have a magical group is in a city, and moreover, really a major city, because there's just such a small minority of the population that's just at all interested in this let alone cut out for it well i don't know i've seen a lot of um orders some of them that have disintegrated some of them they're still there i think like you said it's like a group is the group it doesn't matter where it's formed you know it's like that terrain is just completely completely almost completely irrelevant of of of, of the landscape but i think that the group is the group is like the people that form the order are the order i mean it's like it boils down to like nothing else really yeah just kind of if you want to make it happen you make it happen anywhere you know like middle of the desert ghana if you have the people to want to do it you know um uh, but you know here in salt lake the people are not there you know they they have their own stigmas they have their own problems they have their own bickering i can't even tell you about like masonic conversations that i got into here like some of the deepest like conversations that i got with for me so was about bickering about old books in the salt lake uh, masonic temple i was like what the freak are you talking about and they used to this went on for hours or about the cool things that they did in the air force or the cool things that they did when they were working for some mount some company up in the mountain it's like there is no essence there's no there's no there's no it's, it's like there is no effort to try to understand what is in the degree they memorize that degree but they have absolutely no idea what it means or what it's or what it's trying to teach in my opinion i mean i may be mistaken and this is not over generalizing i'm pretty sure there are some people that do but i have never met them and i have tried really hard to find them it's like even I, I, I told him, it's like, and I was like, hey, can I build a chamber of reflections? You know, it's like, you know, like you still have this call, you still have it right here. It's like, can I build a chamber of reflections? And then it's like, no, no, it's like the Grand Lodge says that's a big no, no, you cannot do that. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, I'll pay for it. It's like, no, 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 no. It's like, he's just not allowed. It's like, all right. 
There's some issues with masonry that I, I mean, people sort of know my story, but my story's recently evolved and I haven't talked about it on the podcast. So a friend got me in touch, uh, a student who's also a fellow musician. Um, I wish I could say more, but don't, I don't really have permission. Anyway, pretty well known for Canada musician. You might, might've heard of him and good band. And he's part of a, a, He's he joined an esoteric a Masonic lodge in town here that's on the more esoteric side that cares about right. the work and all of that. And my the lodge I did my EA degree, my first degree through, they they lied to me about a few things and it was created a bad experience at that mm. initiation. So I never went back. Um and uh, so I tried to join this one. They said I could just join and finish through this other one. Grant, but they they wrote to the secretary, whoever said, no, he has to go back to the one where he had a bad experience. I'm like, oh, I don't <laughs> want to do that. And, you know, I'm, I've been talking about with some of the guys because I've gone out for uh, dinner and then I went out, met another one. And they're great guys. I want to join this lodge, but I might have to finish the Blue Lodge at the other one, at the original one, which has changed, obviously, since I was first initiated in 2004. So it's a different group of people. A lot of the people there are mathematically are probably dead by now. Um, and so, but the problem was they're probably still the same. Like, I don't want to sit around toasting the queen, you know, yeah. I don't want to take vows on a British flag. I'm, I'm like, you know, and when my friends heard that that happened to me, they're like, they should have, they, I was, my friends told me, well, Frat, Frater Yeshi, who's been an old friend of mine for a long time, uh, you know, Thuban Temple in Victoria and, uh, his order, he told, he said, they should have directed you to an Irish craft lodge. And I was like, motherfucker there's such thing as irish craft lodge he's like yeah <laughs> and it was like yeah these these and because the lodge that did bring me in they they, they yeah they 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 knew I, it was all like they knew the irish connection they were at my house they they saw me heard me play irish bagpipes and sing in irish you know <laughs> they, they knew it was like you know i was kind yeah. of a irish republican type uh you know politically i was you know yeah so yeah. that's unfortunate i don't know what i'm gonna do i might just bite the bullet and finish the degrees at this other lodge so i can then join this other one and then demit who knows the the administrative bureaucratic side of these orders has never appealed to me i did a I did a solid year as cancellarius and that was really an awesome experience especially because i think i was 20 when i was cancellarius for your you know you have to learn databases you learn all these life skills actually right like right. a year of cancellarius for a temple that had over 100 members was really valuable job training and life skills for me that that have that served paid dividends in the years to come uh remember, so you, you, a you, lot you, of really cool you, things you, you, that you, you can learn from let's back up your gd lodge had 100 100 members over yeah oh wow That's crazy yeah we worked our butts off man 24 wow. 7 yeah exhausting for sure yeah, I mean, not when I joined. When I joined in 96, I think there was like 30-something um, right. in 96 when I joined. And then, yeah. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah, it was good. It was good. It was a very sorry. good thing. <laughs> well, it was, we, were, we, were, we were open 24-7. Like, it was available 24-7. People were doing ritual work in the temples, multiple temples, 24-7. A lot of the time we have classes every single night of the week and okay. uh, events all day, Saturday and Sunday, usually. Um, so it was very, very busy. Um, Did you get paid? Hmm? 
you should have gotten paid. That sounds like a full-time job right there. No, more than no, that. Yeah, a lot of people think that we we, we had a sweet deal because we would get to like me. Some of a few of us would have lived in the temple house uh, place for free or something. No, we, if you lived there, you paid a lot of rent. Um, like yeah. for the time, uh, paid more than if I had like you know lived somewhere else or at home <laughs> during college with like most kids. But no, I decided to live in the temple and pay 400 bucks rent a month when the average rent for a one bedroom was for a, for a, just a bedroom in a house back then was 275 back in like the year 99, 2000. Um, but yeah, yeah. And like, and you know, the, the place we didn't charge much dues, we charged hardly anything. So the place was constantly going into debt and, you know, I'd have to use student loans to help pay for candles and incense and the hydro bill like was $1,500 a month, you know, electric bills, all this stuff. And we, we didn't charge people enough when I got, when I became in charge, actually, when Martin became in charge, he started trying to charge people more. And then I kept doing the same thing. And eventually we had a revolt and, you know, I couldn't understand why people would want, would not like, wouldn't want titles, but not want to pay 40 bucks a month to pay. Cover the costs. <laughs> like, it's like, you want to be called honored. You want everyone who talks to you here to call you honored, blah, blah, blah. And you won't pay 40 bucks because you think that you don't, shouldn't have to because you're honored. Like this was the thinking. <laughs> of the piece, some of the people I had to deal with. And, you know, had I just expelled them all, like I was ordered to, I was told to expel them by the inner order. Like the people above me would just be like, get rid of them, just get rid of them. People who want titles, but don't want to even spend 40 bucks a month on dues. Like they're done. They're done. They've, they've had their experience. They've gone through philosophers, gone through portal. And now they want honor and respect without having to do anything. And don't even want to do ritual work anymore. Get rid of them. But I was such a nice kid, man. I was like, no, let them hang around. Maybe they'll they'll figure it out. It's like, no, they're done. And now I would now I know that. But I was soft. God bless you for all the work that you I was, did. I was too soft to be a twenty-two year year old imperator of a temple of over a hundred people. Cool. I was so busy. I wasn't even meeting the new neophytes who were coming in. I was, I'd, and, and the whole that whole time I was in seminary too, like doing my master's of divinity. So I was had a full full academic schedule, and then in every, yeah, it was it was it was awesome. It was great time of my life. <laughs> I didn't sleep much, sure. but hey, that's what youth is for. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> well, you learn so much being in groups. That's the thing. You really learn so much. How 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 was the testing it with Chris Manastra's? Or was it was it rigorous testing? I I'm. Uh, it was just based. It was just based off of the Black Golden Dawn book. Just kind of like those sort of knowledge lectures. Um, but I think that. I don't know. It's just kind of like I'm. I'm big into Gnosticism. There's one phrase that Jesus says. It's like it's kind of like whatever you bring with you, is what you take with you. So it's like the Golden Dawn teaches you some stuff, but if you don't know how to combine it or how to make it useful, it's like you're just going to memorize a bunch of useless information, <laughs> yeah. you know? So you kind of have to, like, make it become alive. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of useless information. Like, And then some people, like even you just mentioned, or Mathers, you know, also mentioned, it's like people get, you know, past the portal and they have absolutely they have no idea what the walls in the vault mean. 
what the colors are supposed to mean certain things or what is the placing of the symbols supposed to represent. I think Matters got really pissed off when his adepts, unquote adepts, could not, were not able to explain that to him. And so, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, what you bring with you is what you take with you, for sure. Beautiful, beautifully said. Any other fun uh, memories or anecdotes from your Golden Dawn days you want to share with uh, well, listeners? Absolutely. There's a lot of stuff going on. That Every GD temple, I'm pretty sure, has their, their drama in one form or another. Um, but I don't know. I was, I was there for five years, so I got to learn a lot. What else? There was some drama. There's always this. Some people move. They try to form lodges here and there. Uh, Monastery giving their blessing. Um, I don't know. I think one of the great things that I learned about the GD temple is like I was ordered to arrange the furniture for the greats, and that is like such a great learning experience because you once you have to do that. And we used to meet every weekend, every Saturday, and when you do that every weekend, it just gets ingrained in your head, and so the placing of the furniture starts to become alive. So it's like, oh, so this is what that means. And this is what that means. And this is what that path means. And this is where we're going to use this. And so becoming kind of like the prop master slash kind of stage hand, it really becomes a useful skill in the, in, in the Golden Dawn, aside from the... And also it makes the whole ceremony more alive for you because you kind of like get a warm up of what is the ceremony supposed to mean because sometimes when you are like um, the person going through the grade, you are just like, and this is something that I like guess we didn't have. Maybe some temples do, but I don't, or at least we didn't. A kind of a an introduction of the symbols. What is the symbol supposed to mean? What is this path is supposed to mean? I mean, is like have enough knowledge for you to be able to digest the bombardment of like ritual work that you're gonna get blasted with. And so if you're able to, on top of your knowledge lecture, have an understanding of what the heck is going to happen to you or what are the symbols are supposed to mean. And that is not breaking any of the vows. You know, it's like some of the symbols are pretty straightforward. And there's a little bit of that. Like you learn your Hebrew and then, you know, you go to the, to the let's say, practicus. And it's like, oh, that, that's kind of like what that means or that's how it corresponds. But sometimes the grade just goes so fast that it's like it just all that knowledge just flashes before your eyes and you have to like stop and realize what the heck am I doing? What the heck did I just go through? And so arranging the furniture certainly gave me the perspective of the new candidates in a more richer form, which I think it was pretty cool. That's an experience that very few of us in the Monastery Temple had because not a lot of us took the time to just arrange the furniture and arrange the props and try to uh, analyze that. And unfortunately, also, I came into the GD with a Kabbalistic background because of Holler and also an alchemical background because of Holler. And so the colors meant something to me uh, where it may have not meant some, uh, something to somebody else. Or the Kabbalah, all of a sudden, I was like kind of double guessing. It's like, that's not what that means. <laughs> you know, it's like, this means something else. 
So my Kabbalah, when I came into the GD, was a lot more Jewish as opposed to like just from the black book. And so when I was able to combine the Jewish Kabbalah, I was like, uh, oh, so if I do this, then it combines that. But of course, I kept my mouth shut. I just wanted to learn what they had to say as opposed to like me telling them, it's like, well, you may be wrong, <laughs> you know. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I had I ideas to... like um, I had had ideas like ego was in Yesod, um, because that's what uh, the Hasidic rabbi had taught me. Right. Um, and so they, there's different schools. It's, sometimes people don't realize Kabbalah is just as very variable, uh, variegated. Uh, what's the word? It's yeah, it's got as many different schools and traditions as most other things. And there's different v views of yeah. that. Right. So the Hasidic rabbi who taught me, who was like, he was, I think, a student of, uh, he was ordained by, you know, Zalman Shakhtar Shlomi. And he was an American named Yunasan Gershom. And he wrote on Kabbalah and taught me a lot of Kabbalah. But one of them in the Golden Dawn, I was like, oh, yeah, this is a completely different schema. Yeah. Like, you know, and you can, and now it's like, well, yeah, I can see how ego would be put in Tiferet and the Ruach and equated there. But, you know, something can be learned from seeing it the other way is seeing the ego as in Yesod or the ne be, be equated with the Nefesh. But at the same time, then you have the problem of what the fuck is the ego anyway, because it's seen differently depending on what school of psychology you're in. So all of a sudden, yeah. like all of that, that whole project of making things line up and saying this goes there, this goes there is really only a very limited use. Or, or perhaps it's what we used to call the lesser mysteries, just getting a basic sense of uh, of the map before you go beyond it to discover what the terrain actually is. And now a word from our sponsors. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. While we cannot control whether any ads get put in the spots allocated, we thank you for listening to those that do since they help keep this project alive. You can also get ad-free content and bonus content and videos and a private webpage by subscribing exclusively to magicwithoutfears.com for only a couple dollars a week or six dollars a month or 50 for the year. It helps a lot, plus you get emails about other exclusive things. Thank you very much. Yeah, I don't know. I will put the ego everywhere. It's yeah. necessary, and it's necessary. It's a necessary curse and a necessary self of self preservation everywhere. Yeah, it's like if you try to understand the characteristics as, as they are somehow described in the Golden Dawn, you need the ego everywhere. But they all you also try to want, want to crush it everywhere. So you just kind of you have to keep a balance of it and kind of like I guess keep it in the middle of the pillar. And so not go from one way to the other, but of course you're gonna need it to defend yourself in one perspective, and you need to crush it so you're gonna be able to learn in another in another perspective. And so I wouldn't put it anywhere; <laughs> I would put it everywhere <laughs> for sure. At least that that's the way I see it. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly what I think. You know, definitely, I I you gotta find your I, the self on on the tree everywhere, just like you know, looking at how looking at the significance of what look at the meanings that that are derived from every letter 
in every yeah. in every path like you know there's different yeah it's just uh it's good to look at the different models of understanding i think so do you have a favorite elemental initiation in the golden dawn favorite uh circle zero yeah that's so so beautiful of the elemental so, ones do you have a favorite oh you mean like uh all the way to philosophers yeah um Slaughter, <laughs> because not necessarily because of what happened to me in Slaughter, but what happened to me afterwards in Slaughter. It's like, that was like one of the visions I had of when I came home, it was like, what the heck? It's like, but then it just opened, it just opened certainly gates in my head that it had never opened before. And that is one of the most treasured visions that I ever had. Also one of the most terrifying <laughs> ones. But yeah, not just not slaughter for slaughter, but slaughter for what happened after slaughter. Yeah. Hmm. If that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, I won't pry. <laughs> I kind of told you, it's like it was like a vivid dream where I came where I went I went inside my head and I saw like an ancient ceremony somewhere in Egypt or somewhere, and there was a horrifying type of dude that certainly had. A, a power to bring you in and out of that dream and you know he had other guides with him and it was where your brothers and you know and you realize that some of them are your familiars <laughs> and so it's kind of like what you bring with you is what you take with you that's yeah. like, it's like that's you know it's not going to happen to everybody that's going to go through ladder. it's like but if you bring something with you, your something's gonna get revealed because you're 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 poking it, and eventually it's gonna open. And once it opens, you know, no one's you, there's nothing you can do to get ready for it. You know, it's like you're gonna pee your pants <laughs> because of the power that you know some spirits or whatever it is or something inside your head has. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Way you want to look at it. Some people think that those type of visions are mental. It's like it could be, but you know, the language that was spoken, I never heard it before, and I went to try to find it, and I did find it, and I knew exactly what they were saying, and that's exactly what it was saying. And so, I had my mind had never experienced that before, so I don't know where it came from. <laughs> so, so I don't know if it's mental. Came from the macrocosm, brother. Came from outside the sphere of sensation. You know, sometimes I wonder how much people have, like, you know, in the Golden Dawn, we had this understanding that there's the things that happen within your sphere as reflections of the macrocosm within the microcosm. And then there's the things that you experience from the pure macrocosm, which many would say is debatable. Some some would say that's debatable if that can happen at all. But of course, I don't think prophecy would be possible or many other magical phenomena would be possible if there wasn't that penetration of the veil between the micro and the macro so that you could actually receive, you know, true intimations from, from you know, reality beyond your own uh, subjective sphere of sensation. But I often wonder how much people are getting lost in their own spheres of sensation these days, just playing fantasy games in their own minds um, and not do being willing to realize that there's a, an amount of work that has to go in 
for you to yeah. penetrate that veil and receive actual data and information and 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 pure intelligences um from beyond your own your own uh you know self reflection your own ego your own yeah. ego your own yeah yeah we just have to let go if you're not willing to let go you will never be able to find yourself yeah it's kind of like, I love that that scene from Fight Club with the lime, you know, it's like it's chewing up its hand. It's like, going back to my safe place, going back to my safe place. No, you know, in, in like you're, this is the best experience of your life and you're missing it. It's like, but, it's, but it hurt. It's supposed to hurt, you dummy. And that's when Tyler just leaves, you know, the familiar all of a sudden takes off. You know, it's like, now you're on your own. You're in control. It's, you know, you're in control now. And so that's kind of familiar's work, you know, it's like they push you through heck so that you're able to evolve, you know? And so otherwise, if you keep in your own little comfort zone and your own, it's like, this is what I feel safe with. This is what I have always known. It's like, you're never going to progress. You're always going to be in that little circle of like, this is what's comfortable. This is what's pretty, you know, this is what, you know, what enlightenment, in quotes, is. <laughs> You know, it's like, you know, as long as you feel happy, it's like, no, it's like certainly spiritual progression happens to through going through hell. <laughs> you know, it's like you have to die. Kind of like in Freemasonry, it's like, that's the point. It's like you die so that you can be reborn. And something, a certain part of yourself just really just dies. You know, the dumb part of yourself just dies and something else is born and you have to embrace it and engage it and rejoice in it and trying to make it familiar and then until you get to the next step it's like okay what's the next thing that is what is the next shadow that i have to confront so that i can release it and battle it and kind of like that angel you know that jacob you know was fighting and then he becomes israel you know it's like this is the familiar that i have to fight next so that i can find the next one you know it's like, like the story keeps repeating itself in so many different ways <laughs> but yeah <clears throat> give me the blessing angel so i can become israel <laughs> yeah yeah so no no starting a golden dawn temple in salt lake for you anytime soon but maybe one day I don't know. People it's don't get it. It's too much people work. People. Yeah. And also, it's like, I also try to like um, tell people, it's like, I don't really want to do this. I want you to do this. And this is, I'm just going to do like this part. I want you to do the rest. But then I don't know why. It's just, I, have, I just have a bad rep of like being lazy or something or <laughs> scaring people out that I want to ask them for something or I don't know, it's want to date their girlfriends. I have no idea, bro. I have never asked anybody out that I, you know, that I knew out of somebody else. So all the people that I have asked out in my life have been complete strangers. Uh, so it's like, I don't know, sometimes people think that I'm going to take something from them. I have absolutely no interest in taking, any, in taking anything from anybody. I never asked anybody for nothing except for like work, you know. I work, I ask for my paycheck, you know, but that's about it. Yeah. But in the, in, the, in the GD is like our Chris Monestra always in, in call, in, in, inculcated in us like the very Rosicrucian mentality. Kind of like we do this ad gratia and we do it for the benefit of humanity. It's like we don't do it to make money. We don't do it to like try to gain anything. 
And so we just do it because of the love for the tradition and for the, the doors that it can potentially open. But of course, if you tell people that this is not going to be easy, that this is going to be rough, the people are like, oh, no, but I want the easy path. And so it's like, okay, go find your easy path, <laughs> you know, go spin your cycles wherever the heck you want to spin them. And also I scare people because I definitely have changed the Golden Dawn system. And so that's what a lot of a lot of my friends tell me this is not the Golden Dawn system anymore because that Kabbalah, for example, that is in the, in the black book, is like, I knew the story of how did it get in that black book? And it, I completely disagree with having to say, Aleph is the ox. It's like, I don't get it. And I first I got it, but then I thought it's like, it's BS. <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense. So I, I substituted that Kabbalah for Carlos Suarez Kabbalah. And Carlos Suarez Kabbalah, once you start using it, it's like, holy crap, it's like everything freaking works. And not only does it work, it starts to become useful, it starts to become dynamic. Um, then you potentially you can use it. Uh, then I started using it in, uh, in uh, Abraham Abulafia's meditation. It's like, holy crap, it works here too. And so Carlos Suarez's Kabbalah that I learned from the Theosophist, it just became very useful for me throughout my whole life. And so, you know, I learned uh, Aleph, his ox, Beth, his house, and yeah, whatever you wanted me to learn, I'll learn it. I'll keep my mouth shut. But deep down, I knew that Aleph was not an ox. It was this very complicated permutation of these very complicated uh, astrological, cosmological processes. And Beth was more of a terrestrial also processes, as explained by Carlos Suarez. And then his books are super complicated too, and he doesn't open up too much. So you have to have to get a little bit of theosophist to try to understand what the heck is Carlos Suarez saying. And then, well, he had this other teacher, and then you have to ask this other teacher, well, he's dead. <laughs> and so you have to ask the students, and well, this is what Carlos might have tried to say. And so, so kind of like what you take with you, what you bring with you is what you take with you. And so I have changed a lot of the Judaism system. Like I, for example, we had this conversation. I think you and I on text is like, I don't like the Enochian system. It doesn't make any sense to me. To me, it's incomplete. And so I changed it for like Grimoric stuff. And so the Grimoric stuff comes from like, a, you know, kind of like St. Cyprian stuff. And so it's like, well, it's no longer GD. It's like, well, it's not GD. Cool. <laughs> it's like, it's all right. I don't have to call it GD. I don't have to teach it to anybody. It's like, let's do, you know, I just do my own thing, you know? And, because I love to I love to learn and, and you know I just keep you know what is, a friend of mine called me when I you are the 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 the, the voice in the wilderness he called me <laughs> that's, that's, that's your, beautiful like you don't want to teach anybody you just keep all the stuff on to you and you don't give a crap as to like whether anybody cares and you're the voice in the wilderness it's like am I <laughs> it's like I don't even talk bro <laughs> I'm just I am just there, you know. Yeah, yeah. So Carlos Suarez teaches. Uh, he he doesn't see much point in having students learn the literal meanings of the letters, but focuses on the mystical understanding of them that he brings to it. For sure. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's good. in fact, That's I think good place to go. I think Carlos Suarez was also a Sephardic Jew, and there's a lot of tradition. Carlos Suarez was a Frenchman, but obviously he has a Spanish name. And so 
in fact, you, you also kind of like poke around in like uh, Martinez de Pasquale and you read, uh, what is that, the regeneration of beings, I think this book is called. Uh, it's just Gnostic stuff. You know, it's like I went to Spain and I was talking to somebody about the book and it's like, oh no, there's this great mystery. It's like, dude, have you read the secret book of John? Have you read the Pisti Sophia? Have you read the book of Jew? It's like all these, uh, Martinez de Pasquale is talking about is Gnosticism, but he's trying to make a compendium of it. And it's like, it's so similar. And so it's like, it's hard to detach one from the other. But of course, Martinez de Pasquale had no access to the Nahamari library. And so he had to get it from somewhere. And it was probably kind of like the Renaissance books of Plato and Aristotle and Euclid. And Euclid, they came from, you know, like Andalusia, Al-Andalus, you know, kind of like from the Moors. You know, those books were there. And the same thing with the Sephardic Jews, you know, they still had books somewhere hoarded that they made use of. And I'm pretty sure Martinez de Pasquale or some of his relatives had some Gnostic Gospels or, or copies of Gnostic Gospels that somehow, you know, sounded a lot like the Nahamari. In fact, I, I like, I love when uh, Justin Sledge, he says like Kabbalah sounds sometimes a lot like uh, Gnosticism. It's like, well, I wonder why. <laughs> it's like, Martinez de Pasquale talks about Gnosticism and then you have Moses de Moshe de Leon, you know, talking about Kabbalah and they are from kind of like very similar regions. And the Sephardic Jews happen to travel a lot through Spain. So that, you know, either for teaching or for escaping or for business and they travel a lot. And so I'm pretty sure Martinez de Pasquale was talking about Gnosticism and Carlos Suarez is one of those guys that also has to have some type of knowledge that it just, if it works, is because he had to come from somewhere else, somewhere else. He, he cannot just come up with it on the fly, you know, it was like, it is so meaningful that it was a certain type of Kabbalah, I'm pretty sure, that was practiced somewhere in Sephardic Spain. And I don't know, for me, it works. Great, yeah, very cool. Just uh, thinking how uh, the Kabbalah, well, yeah. It's a... Uh, it's it's interesting, I think, that that uh, Moshe Adel has argued now, and is generally people generally accept his argument that it was uh, proto Kabbalah that influenced Gnosticism, and not the other way around, as as we long thought. Generally, people thought it was not it was uh, Gnosticism that influenced early Jewish mysticism, but arguably not at this stage, it seems, and uh, I, and especially now as we understand more from Hanegraaff's work about the more most likely distinct communities that practiced the Hermetica or Hermetism um, and how that is separate again from the Gnostic patterns, the Gnostic groups and movements, and then separate again from the Neoplatonists or late Platonists. But yet these, these people all intermixed and all uh, to yeah. quite a large extent and, and had common sources. So it's fascinating as we, uh, to th it's so cool that as, as time goes on, we're actually getting a clearer understanding of so long ago and not a, and not a more muddled view. Like you'd think like if it wasn't, if human beings weren't so such interesting creatures, you'd think that we would, we'd know these things less and less as time went on, but actually we're learning more and more about them. Um, 
And yeah. it's so cool to see how that influences occult practices and developments and, and uh, you know, the way the way things move forward. I mean, I love the fact that uh, Kabbalah has sort of been ousted from a lot of magical practices because I think it was ne inserted needlessly. Um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the, the schemas and the the ideas of Kabbalah were extracted and then the rest was rejected. We see this, of course, with the, the idea of the klipa or the klipot uh, being sort of just extracted from the broader context of, of Jewish mysticism and religion and turned into a left-hand path realm of, of demons and evil. Um, and, uh, and, you know, ex you know, turn into methods to become a living God rather than understanding them as the shells and the husks that are a part of the divinity and part of part of God's self or nature, as I like to think of it, you know, I, I, I have very, a very pantheistic view of reality. I think, you know, calling God nature, I think is the best way to do it. Nature and spirit. <laughs> Well, I, I'm a naturalist, let's say. Good question. I, I, I when I saw that uh, there was a Justin's Ledge episode where he uh, talked about with the last place that probably uh, Moshe de Leon was at. And I, and I had to go. <laughs> I had to go not to find the scrolls that were supposedly found there, but I had to go meet the familiar. Because as I read the Sohar, because I also started studying the started reading the Sohar. Also, even prior to, to Stephen Holler, thanks to the Kabbalah Center, because Madonna made it famous. And so <laughs> I started reading the Sohar back then and I and I and I read the Sohar and it just it just clicked in my head. They're, they're, they're not talking about what they're talking about. They're talking, they're basically telling stories that the familiar is telling them. And but there are stories within the stories, and this is how this is how they're teaching. And there are other books that also kind of talk about like that. In fact, the whole Bible is like that. It's like, well, not the whole Bible, but a lot of the Bible, they tell stories that are not meant to tell you what they're really trying to tell you. They tell they're trying to tell you something else. And there are multiple layers of that what they're of what they're of what they're trying to tell you. But only the familiar will be able to tell you what the heck is it really trying to tell you because it has to give you the key. And so when I read the Sohar, I was like, oh, this is more or less what they're talking about. And then, or the, then, then also I get lost. It's like, well, I don't know what it's talking about. But then also I start continuing reading. It's like, oh, that's what it's talking about. And then I thought it's like, there had to be a familiar. Mojo de Leon or his disciples had to be talking to a, to a familiar. And he kind of does mention it, the Shekin, he calls it the Shekinah. And so I went to Utrera, Spain, which is, uh, I don't know, kind of like south of, south, kind of close to Seville. And I went in there and I started doing my meditation, my uh, Bulafian stuff. And sure enough, you know, it's like, oh, curly crap, there she is. And you must, she's gorgeous. <laughs> she's, it's just gorgeous, and I was able to, to 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 tap into it. And she told me, "It's like you know, starts keep studying." It's like, "Well, I gotta go." It's like, "Well, bye." He's like, "Can you come with me?" No, this is my place. I was like, "Oh man, I wish you could live here. <laughs> I wish you could live here and sit here and just 
just sit there and just meditate all day long, but I can't because I have to go back to dumb Utah where nobody, where I'm the, what is that? I'm the wild voice in the wilderness. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful tradition. Kabbalah is such a gorgeous, beautiful tradition. Well, I don't know. I may be crazy. I may be the one just seeing that Shekinah that never existed. I don't know. But you know, for me, it's real, you know? And I have nothing to gain. I'm not going to write a book. I'm not going to. I'm just telling you a crazy story because you know you're my friend, and you know you're telling your crazy story. You know, I expect to be believed, not zero, zero percent. Do not believe me. You know, it's like I'm never going to write a book about it. <laughs> it's like I have nothing to gain from this. Well, dude, the second the second that a lot of people start believing the stuff we're saying is probably when we'll start seeing like, you know, witch hunts again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that, that's that's the crazy part about this is like i forgot i think angela puka was saying is like why is this stuff coming up now and it's like because even in, in, in mexico there are still small towns where you if you say stuff like this you will get burned or you will get beat beaten to death because yeah. you're a witch because you're manipulating people because you're scaring people you know, but now, fortunately, I think we live in a society where, like, so many people are coming up with their stories that they, like, for example, this woman, this Davila woman, you know, if this Davila woman was, like, also say, is like, oh, I'm a bruja, and this is what I have done in a little small town, she will probably get lynched, you know, to this day. But wow. now, you know, it's like, people are coming up with it, and there's, it's a little, it's a, it's a, it's a lot more socially acceptable. And so I, me talking about this, I don't think it's going to get me lynched because I don't affect anybody. You know, it's like, they're probably going to think that I'm crazy. And that's awesome. Think that I'm crazy. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, power yeah. to you. You know, just let me do my thing. I don't, I'm not breaking any laws. I am not affecting you. Just, you know, just, you know, peace and love, brother. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a funny time to be alive and be able to, talk about the stuff and practice and engage with other people without having the fear of yeah. too much uh, you know you're definitely not gonna be lynched or you know people uh, people you generally don't even have the time to, to mock you too much because it's like why would they bother you just just larping right so yeah yeah sure. and plus spirits don't exist god doesn't exist there's no such thing as anything nothing matters this is the prevailing social social culture is one that's so vapid and devoid of any value and meaning that they couldn't be bothered to you know uh, trample on on any of us doing spirit work or practicing ancient ways um you know they're they're too busy lynching uh who do they lynch they're lynching uh the what's it called kim, kim kardashian they're they're too busy lynching yeah the people they want to lynch are um who are the heretics today the heretics today are 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 um Justin Bieber. I don't know. transphobes transphobes are hair that that's you'll get you lynched right <laughs> um and uh white supremacists you know so that's the those are the boogeymen those <laughs> are the boogeymen i i don't say that to imply that there aren't white supremacists and and transphobic or you know people like that there's definitely are um but we're seeing them in places they aren't Right. You know, just like in the old days of the witches, like, uh, you know, you, you want people would get burned because like you you would just you'd want someone's house. So you accuse them of witchcraft and they get killed and you get their house. Right. So yeah. 
yeah that's that's the kind of witch hunts we see going on still today it's like you know i don't like this person's success so i'm going to call them a uh a bigot and hopefully they'll get canceled and have their bank accounts shut down you know yeah and, and also there's also the i don't know i love reading uh Ted kaczynski's manifesto there's so much knowledge there so like crazy like knowledge and i know it's kind of crazy because he was the unabomber <laughs> maybe but, maybe i should yeah people do say it is a, a in, interesting read <laughs> i don't i love it i think he 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 hits every head every nail on the head there's one where he talks about a spiritual and being spiritually anemic yeah and nowadays that is so true and there are so many people that want to be they want to follow a certain spiritual path but of course most people are lazy and so they want to follow a spiritual path that is convenient to them, that accommodate that accommodates to their own beliefs, that accommodates to their own perception of the world. And so they're somehow trying to fill that whole uh, the hunger for spiritualism by trying to make up their own spiritualism, which of course most of the time is like. What the heck are you talking about? But it's me, like it's just it's just giving just me like me, you know, like, oh, I'm going to freaking Utrera to go find a familiar. That is me trying to fill my whole of, of my whole anemic spiritualism, you know. But there are some people that uh I don't know, I think it was a foolish fish that said it's like there was a guy that was trying to make me uh read his stuff on like uh where's Nironhatep and some Lovecraft stuff and some Kabbalah stuff and some Grimoire stuff. It's like and then I posted a comment saying, it's like, yeah, bro, it's so edgy when you're trying to half-ass like the work of other people <laughs> and put it all together into like these dark, dark, whatever, like a uh, green dark fluff. And then it's like, if that's what, if that's your thing, that's power to you, bro. You know, power to you, but don't expect other people to subscribe to it because, you know, there are, you know, older traditions, you know, established that have been followed by people like you and me. Like we follow our own Kabbalah or, you know, like for example, my friend, you know, he does, he's a, he's a chaos magician and he works a lot with the gods from uh, the Lovecraft mythos. And then it's like, that's his thing. That's awesome, bro. You know, go, 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 go do what you do. There are people that do Croatia. That's, that's awesome. You know, I just uh, kind of just started a, a, a channel where I've been touching a lot about my Mesoamerican magic. So that's another tradition that has not been touched and I have been exposed to it all my life and, I feel it is my responsibility to share it, you know, and so I'm trying to somehow make uh, episodes that are also having the 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 benchmark of a uh, of a uh, of, of Justice Ledge or Puka or Foolish Fish or Alexander, you know, and so like try to make something of uh, with an academic basis, not just talk out of your a, you know just kind of like have an academic basis because it's, uh, there's so much research done on Mesoamerican magic and there's so much research done on Mesoamerican archaeology and ways of life, medicine, uh, architecture. There's so much, so much research. Not a lot of it is in English. Most of it's in Spanish. So I'm bringing it into, into the English language. For one is because I've been studying it all my life. And second is because I have the sources to, to back it up. And so that's yeah, that's great. I, I I just subscribed to it the other day. I look forward to digging into it. Do you mind if I just uh, pause for one second? Yeah, sure, no problem. No, was that the problem? Was that the intermission, the bathroom break? I don't know. No, I just said. <laughs>
adjust some things. Um, yeah, no, it's we're such a it's so it's so lucky to be interested in magic or to be practicing in this at this time. Like this is the this is the the golden age really um return. Probably yeah. but, but probably it wasn't even it's probably better than in some ways it was ever in history. Um because the ability to communicate so easily with people all around the world and all that uh information that's online i mean the problem now like when you and i started in the 90s it was very hard to get information um most of it was wrong too so yeah. yeah 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 like there was no internet there was yeah just whatever you could find at bookstores and now uh, yeah now the now the problem is is a surplus of information people don't i think that's what's partly contributing to people's inability to to actually learn things and do the work is the fact that there's just so many different things it feels like well how could i ever know it all and you have to accept the fact that you can't and therefore the only value in any of it is to learn some of it really well and take yeah. it really deeply to, otherwise it's not going to have much a, of an impact on you if you if it just stays on the surface so you know it's it's again it's been, i've been saying this ever since i started the podcast there's a difference between knowledge and information and if you're just looking for information then then you're wasting all of our time you know for sure like that's one of the things i like about the enochian system actually is that you have to work to turn like there d didn't get to finish his grimoire and even what he did finish of his grimoire um because had he had another 50 years left and things had gone differently we'd probably have the enochian grimoire from d you know and he probably would have you know we probably wouldn't have his other documents we probably wouldn't have all this stuff that he the unfinished stuff and the the communications and uh diary entries but because we have only what was left and what wasn't burnt in the fire then you have to put it together yourself so you see it's uh, that's why i like it as a as a as an introductory grimoire and i think that's why the, in the golden dawn you learn it um prior to working with other grimoires right in 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 five six you start learning enochian very seriously and true you're learning the golden dawn enochian it's because they had to finish their version of it to fit into their <laughs> system but also because it was incomplete on its own to a large extent even even deep purism which a lot of us practice these days is still as much a reconstruction as almost anything else so the fact that you have to work with the source material and and put it together i think is a is a great way to to you're necessarily becoming invested in the depth of understanding that it requires and you whereas with like you know key of solomon stuff like you have your key of solomon i, I like i like uh, Sibley's clavis myself over over the Mathers one though the Mathers one's classic but the Sibley clavis by Hockley that came out from Hockley is great and but it's all there you don't have any of the notes of how it was formed and it's a complete thing in itself each one is more or less as complete as they are um and then you work with it and you connect with those spirits more with it. but yeah with Enochian and also with like Christian angel magic of the Shemha Mefresh right when Christians took the three names of three lettered names of God and put the, the angelic suffixes on the end, they created a new system of angel magic, but outside of, but without a grimoire to contain it all. 
There was there is no Shem Grimoire. I mean, there's the new book coming out, which is very exciting by the uh, Chinese magician. Uh, uh, I can't pronounce his or her name. And, you know, obviously, whoever they are probably needs to stay very quiet, especially if they're in China. I don't know. Or even if they're outside of China, we have China, we have a Chinese uh-huh. police station now here in Vancouver. All right. Yeah. The, where they get to monitor their citizens and kidnap them if they want to or threaten them. Yeah. Crazy. I, know, I, went right? I went to Prague to, to dig up these stuff. And, and also when I was in my Let's talk about Prague. Yeah. And like my, um, Monastric assigned us mentors. And the mentor that she assigned to me, I used to run laps around him. And then eventually she kind of got frustrated at me, but like me throwing crap at this guy. And she told me, he's like, you know what? I have this other guy, a guy that knows everything. And so one time he invited me to his house and I was browsing to his books. And he had the, the what is the, the faithful, the Fear and faithful, what happened between John D and the relationship with angels? What was that called? Through, through and faithful. faithful relation, yeah. Through and faithful, and I, I, I was able to understand it a lot, not only because of the old English, but also because I, I, I can read Latin. And so, I got so frustrated with it because all of a sudden they were like, they, they were, they, they were jamming, you know, they were like, what's the story? The angels were telling all these cool stories, and also I was like, oh, we got interrupted because of this. It's like, oh crap. It's kind of like reading Lovecraft too, you know. It's like, oh man, there's like, there's this really evil thing that is about to show up, but uh, then uh, the story never ends, <laughs> you know. And yeah. so, with True and Fable, is the same story, you know. It's like you, you, you get really invested on what's going on. And I used to write notes, and I was like, uh, there was a little divination thing where like you spin the things, and then uh, it's wrong. Uh, and I think just let just as Dutch made one where like uh, uh, I forgot it was the Monas Hieroglyphica where the kind of like a magic square, big gigantic magic square is like the magic square is wrong. It has errors, and you can tell because of the mathematical derivation of where are the letters supposed to land. And so that's why I never quite jived with the you know because it's just. It's not finished <laughs> and it has errors and it's incomplete. It's just like, and I never found the, 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 the familiarity with it or the passion enough for me to try to make it make sense because, and I, and I kind of get it. It is like the familiar sometimes tell you part of the story. And even if they tell you the perfect story, you're going to write it wrong. And so, so, so I, I get it. You know, if they were in fact speaking with angels, Chances are that you know they they probably made mistakes while writing it, or they got distracted, or it's like kind of like with all prophets, you know, it's like Solomon is jiving, you know, he has a relationship with God. I was like, oh, there there's a there's a really cute girl, you know, like washing herself. I want to go there and you know break the law, break the commandments of God, you know, and and do my own thing. So even the prophets made mistakes, you know, but I never found the passion, or at least. I did find it, but then I kind of lost it to try to make Enochian make sense the way it's supposed to make sense. Because not only do you have to study Enochian, you have to correct the Enochian. And then you have to kind of like kind of finish what was never finished. And then you kind of like have to make up your own mind as to how do you want to finish it? And then it's not really Enochian. It's kind of like Enochian and a little bit of you. 
And so I never, I never really quite jived, or at least I just, I fell out of love with the Nokian. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that, 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 that was, uh, I think that happens to a lot of people. It certainly sort of happened to me at the end of my golden dawn time. And then I sort of, uh, the first time I went to Prague in 2007 was, I uh, four four years after closing Temple Tehuti and having you know done the bulk of the Golden Dawn in Nokian curriculum and and it was sort of bittersweet being in Prague but then then the next time I went there in 2019 I had a really powerful experience doing work up in the tower they the tower trap door was open they let me go up and so I did a quick you know call of the tenth uh, eighth rent the veil and 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 the spirits were so present to me as soon as i reached out and asked sort of like you know like uh sort of like uh josephine mccarthy always says you you know if you don't ask you're not yeah. the spirits aren't gonna necessarily you know you got that's the first step is reaching out to them um yeah. and and i was surprised at how powerful it just was a whole week of powerful communication and relationships between that me me and the angels at that tower every single day and night and it was like okay i'm gonna i need to they they told me there's a different way that i should just focus on working with them and not focus so much on the details of how the golden dawn or how any humans tinkered with with who, who and what they are is what they sort of have said and then later on then when covid you're started guilty. you're guilty too now, oh, now is that Inokian anymore. Now is like you with Inokian. <laughs> you well, know? That, no, you that's, stuff. that's where yeah. it becomes what it is, is in yeah. the interaction. Like all, right. all, all of, this is how magic works in general, I think, is, is you know, yeah. without the, you know, without the, the human element, it's just nature and spirit. And the human element comes to it. And that interaction of working with the spirits is where the magic comes from. So, refocusing on the spirits themselves and on just the the original and you know focusing on the original ways that that d and kelly uh reached out to them yeah definitely transformed my my appreciation of enochian uh to what it is now um and now of course everyone knows how much i'm invested in in uh, trying to make it accessible to people who want to do it from a traditional point of view rather than the golden dawn the golden dawn version way is there and there's there's you got the shulers there's all these different versions with different names and that's great there's nothing wrong with that do it yeah. that okay um that's what Crowley <laughs> would have said if he was canadian or <laughs> <laughs> do it that will day shall be the whole of the law hoser um <laughs> um but yeah like because because you know, and this is something that that I really value about you know what Jake Stratton Kent sort of left us with was uh, appreciation for the spirits themselves outside of systematizing them in on the tree of life or outside of um, imposing their natures through telismatic images necessarily or or through uh, hierarchies that may be somewhat artificial. Um, you know, I mean, we all many of us, you know, the experience of uh, divine, using divine names or, or thwarting spirits and stuff, that's, that's a, 
that's something you can test out magically and you'll you'll see its value you'll see if you don't think divine names meet matter and thwarting spirits or any any of the if you think none of that stuff matters well you can try that out and see how that works for you but um letting spirits be this, themselves and be who they are to you because who spirits are to you is not necessarily how they're going to be to someone else because you have your own sphere of sensation that's composed of your own uh astrological and uh uh, spiritual you know underpinnings and and uh yeah interpretation so it's like it's spirits will appear differently to us and 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 offer different things to us right just because spirit can do something for you doesn't mean it will do the same thing for me because i've got my own dharma my own uh, uh yeah. makeup that that you know some things just aren't an option for everyone i think that's that's my view of it and again i do believe the magic and the also the metaphysics of it the the nature of reality is derived from the interaction and that that liminal space between the objective and the subjective yeah let me can i rap about that a little bit please i was with uh Angela you me lay down a sick beat no <laughs> yeah I was in the Angela Puka's the patron symposium, whatever she has. Yeah, I look uh, forward to joining that at some point. Yeah, and she asked the question of like, do you think that there is value to try to rationalize from a scientific, or at least this is what I think. I think this is what she asked. I may be misquoting her, but she said, "Do you think there is value to rationalize scientifically magic?" And then I told her that, or at least I mentioned, I, I shared with the group that. You don't have to call it magic. And then when you're calling about when you're talking about spirits, that is such a an arbitrary point of view. Because, like you said, the spirit is gonna act very differently to every different person. And that is probably has to do with the fact that some of those spirits are kind of a connection between your mind and whatever world they live in, or whatever realm or dimension, whatever it is that they live, and your mind. So the, whatever, whenever you interact, interact with them, that is not a repeatable event because the mind of the conjurer or the subject that is experienced, that is experiencing whatever experience, it is very subjective. So it's not repeatable. You cannot do that. But there are other types of sciences that are totally repeatable. Like there are some chemical principles that are totally repeatable. There are like, a, there's a book that I love, uh, about what is it called the planetary influences on herbs and plants or something it talks about how plants um they grow in different ways by the phases of venus for example and that is a total very paracelsian alchemical point of view of how looking at things and now for example i have a, a couple of friends now that are getting very heavy into what are they calling it guided self-healing something anyway there are people with horrible ptsd that come from wars their bodies die they're missing a limb and they have these horrible like memories and a lot of them uh, have committed suicide because they're not able to live with these memories and with this regret and they go and try ayahuasca or they go and try a particular mushroom and all of a sudden they are they no longer have that regret or that or 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 that mem or they have the memory but it's no longer killing them and so that is also very magical or at least like 
like I mentioned in, in, in my channel that I have never not seen Food Magic Network, ever. All the Food Magic that I have seen being done, it has always freaking worked to the way, to the letter it is supposed to work. If you want to make somebody dumb, they want that this particular plant, it will make them somebody dumb. If you want somebody not have this particular memory, it will not have that particular memory. If you want somebody not to, or at least a traumatic memory, but I mean, they'll remember the event, but they will not have like the whole thing that is killing them. Or, you know, it's like, it's just like there are particular drugs or particular foods in Mexico that will make you not have regret or not have um, pain anymore or will make you just dumb or docile or it will make you feel euphoric. It will make you like think that you are the greatest thing on earth. And if done under a guided system, you will not become addicted to it. You know, it is not supposed to be an addict. It's not a purified drug like cocaine or heroin where you know, ayahuasca is not addictive. In fact, you know, you don't want to be puking for two hours or an hour, you know, for, you know, it's like, if you do it, it's like, that's awesome. You know, you have the experience, it healed you. That's it. That's all I want to do it for because it's like, I don't want to be puking for an hour. And the same thing with certain mushrooms, you know, it's like, it's going to scare the shit out of you, you know? And so, but it's going to give you the effect that you try to get. And so it's called now guided and it's becoming now a scientific thing now where, they're trying to create these retreats where they try to heal certain people. And that is total food drug magic. And once again, it works because there are a lot of wishy-washy magic in our, in, in our groups where like, Oh man, I'm going to summon some spirit without making a pact. And it's going to work. It's like, well, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And if it does work, it's like, what is it just, did it, did it just happen because it was supposed to happen? or it just happened because of something else or whatever. But food magic is just like, I had never not seen it work. And in, there, are, there are now um, studies where these people are trying to create these retreats of like a, of therapy for, for, for these people where it rarely not works. And if it doesn't work, then they try something else and guess what, it works. And so you don't have to write, call it magic. Because it's something else. Magic is such a huge umbrella term for so many different traditions. And some of them work, some of them don't, and some of them work, but they're not going to work the same for everybody else. At least that's that, that, that's my rap. That's it. Thank you for the beat. Yeah. Well, we got the new um, uh, center. I don't remember the name, but we got a new psychedelic research center here in Vancouver, out, just outside of town, um, that's set up and run by Dennis McKenna. Um, because he's a he's a he's a UBC alum and professor like me. Well, alum, not I'm not a professor, uh, of course, obviously. But uh, yeah, we're both you know uh, part, connected to UBC and and what he's set up is is really exciting. But I'm afraid that he's. I hope it's going to continue because he's so old. He's not going to be around forever, right? And uh, yeah, we have a lot of that sort of stuff here. Well, uh, British Columbia, where I live, as of just my on my birthday january 31st decriminalized for three years all drugs as an experiment <laughs> so everything's legal here now every drug nice. yeah nice. um uh but, but, it's, but it's not the drugs that's another misconception well it's here's like, the um, point it me it means that like things like dmt and mushrooms and ayahuasca are you can you can do that without risk now so that's oh, well, good. yeah that's 
that's certainly a good thing. But but I think there's a lot of misconception, which also comes from like Mesoamerican culture magic, cultural magic about drugs. That uh, first of all, I had an uncle. He uh he he went to work with a shaman that at uh, Real de Catorce in kind of like northern Mexico, and in Real de Catorce, peyote grows a lot. And so he went with the shaman, and he's uh, there. Are so, and then the shaman has to point out which peyote is going to work and which one is not going to work, and which one is the one the one that was going to work to the level that you're supposed to take it. So he went up there with the shaman, and there were these other four guys with him. And then the shaman, you know, kind of pointed out, "Say you need to pick up that peyote." And then my uncle is like, "Okay, so I'm just going to pick it up." No, 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 you idiot! You cannot just pick it up. It is like, what do you mean? You have to ask it whether if it can be picked up. And I was like, what? It's just a plant. You have to ask it if it wants to be picked up. Okay. So like, can I pick you up? And he felt like the plant said, yes. It's like, okay. The shaman said, okay, cool. So take it with you. This is how we're going to cook it. And this is how we're going to do it. And he just lays there in the middle of the desert. And he says that he also, like, he opened his eyes and he was looking down at his body. And he was like scared, you know, senseless and he's like oh crap what the heck is going on and he's like going up and the other four guys are with him and he sees them but they don't look like their bodies they look like something else and so he, they're going up there and then it's like the other guys is like yeah man let's go up there we're building this like gigantic castle it's gonna be awesome he's like no i want to go back and then the shaman is up there without the use of peyote. And then he tells him, do not go back to your body. Go up there. Once you get up there, I'll bring you back. I know you're scared, but I'll bring you back. He's like, no, no, no. I have to go back. And it's like, I don't want to leave my body. I don't want to die. You're not going to die. Just like chill. Just, <laughs> just relax. Get get up there and I'll bring you back. And then he says, no, I have to I have to leave. And then he just uh, got back into his body, like started trying to like move his fingers. And then he started slapping himself. And then get his hand close to the fire and feel the fire because he wasn't able to feel anything. And so then the shaman said, it was like, you know, it's like, don't ever come back here again because now you're all traumatized. And I don't want to be, I don't want to have that energy in my, in, in, in my place again. And then he said, it's like, you have to understand that you did not just take a drug. You asked the peyote for permission to pluck it. So now you can you enter into into communion with that peyote. He's like, what do you mean? It's just a plant. No, it's not just a plant. The plant has a spirit, and you enter into a covenant with that spirit, and that is why I was able to help you to do the things that you're able to do. Like the way you're talking to me, I have a spirit. You are you you came to an agreement with me, for me to teach you something. But now I'm going to break that covenant with you because you did not do the things that I was supposed to tell you to to, to that I was not. That you, were not, you were not doing the things that I told you to do. And then now you have all this trauma and you're going to deal with that for, for years in your life. It's like, well, can you help me out? No, because you're not doing the things that I told you. And then it's like, he says, peyote is the same way. It's going to teach you things. Plants, it's just going to teach you. So it's not just a drug. I think for, for this type of therapy, for it to be like successful, it needs to be understood from a different from 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 the real shamanistic perspective, not from a like oh dude let's just get high and let's see what happens. Sometimes it works, but sometimes it doesn't. And if it does work, sometimes it's not going to work forever. And sometimes it's not going it's going to work counterintuitively. Like what is that word counterintuitively? <laughs> if that is a word, you know, it's like it's not going to work for the purpose that you intended it's going to work because there is like these people that have been doing it for like freaking centuries, if not millennia. 
you know, that have been practicing with these type of plants and they're able to make it do the things that they're supposed to do. And they have, you know, centuries of experience. And now we're getting, we're entering into an age where like people are, they think that it works, but if we come into a, into this type of tradition, thinking that it just works like penicillin is supposed to work or Tylenol, I think we're going to come in with a, with a new set of problems. At least that's my perspective. That is my perspective. That's my take on it. Yeah, that's a, that would be a set of problems I don't want to see. I don't want to know. Even if they occur, don't tell me what they are. I don't want to see a world in which uh, you know, entheogens and plant medicine are stripped of their set and setting and try to turn into some sort of Pfizer product, you know, like heaven forbid those fucking big pharma, like that is, is it, it, big pharma is, is one of the, like, the biggest problems in our world today, isn't it? Uh, I, I agree. Yeah. The, the, the price gouging, the crazy, yeah. like, I, I find it amazing how how few people seem to realize that or, you know, how many people seem to not realize that, you know, like, like we're talking about like so many people talk about just, improve, you know, the ways in which we need to improve ourselves in the world. And I don't you hear so few of them talking about making uh, insulin affordable or, mm. you know, um all of that stuff it's it's just a nightmare it's a nightmare like sorry the the amount of money we spend up here on insulin and so you know like is is crazy and i know you guys spend even more and it's like this yeah. essential drug that costs nothing it's just yeah, i heard in mexico is pretty cheap <laughs> i hear a lot oh, of stuff's cheap in mexico except a speeding ticket <laughs> they'll take everything you got on you right Sometimes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's um, true. But yeah, like, uh, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. I don't know. I think that a lot of that stuff came from Maimonides. I've been trying to ask Beggs Ledge to make an episode on medicine because he says he doesn't know that much about his medicine. Maimonides but, and medicine. Yeah, he was a doctor. Maimonides, his primary job in his whole life was being a doctor, and so. The story goes that there were like hundreds of people sometimes lined up, lined up you know, outside of like wherever he practiced. And of course, he did not have the time to basically heal them all. And so I think he gave him like compounds of some sort. The books were actually incidentally published by BYU, believe it or not. <laughs> uh and so the books of his, uh, some of his medical stuff were published by BYU. And so I have a couple of them. And the, and, and so my monitor just gave people, he's like, here, this is supposed to make you feel better. But like, uh, I, I just made an episode in my channel about um, Aztec medicine. And in, for example, if you broke a bone in, 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 the, in the Aztec times, they put a brace on you and they had a pulp of a particular root and then they they rubbed you with it and in fact to this day there are still people in mexico that still practice that it's because they're called sobaderos they either use alcohol or they use a, a particular pulp and whenever they you, you break a bone or dislocated something or you have a bruise uh the sobadero kind of like just 
caresses your wound. And I think there was a study done by UC Santa Barbara where they tried to measure how long will it take for that particular fracture to be healed from El Sobadero to going to the hospital. Well, the Sobadero was faster. And then they couldn't really quite understand why, because of course, everything has to be like measurable. And it had to do with the fact that the spirit of the person that was rubbing the particular person was able to pass some of their health to the other person. At least that's the way I see it. And then it's like, it's also like you, it's like massages, you know, it's like when, uh, you know, it's like I play a lot of pickleball. And so sometimes I pull a muscle or something, I keep rubbing it, it heals faster than if I just leave it alone. And and I don't know what is a scientific uh, explanation for that, but there is so much stuff about medicine that we still can learn from ancient traditions, you know, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I thank God that's coming back, I guess, a bit or never fully went away or something like that. It's it's still around. Um, for example, like peyote's never been never been illegal in Canada. You've always been we could, we've been able to get a buy it over the counter my whole life. I never have. You, I would. You grow peyote up there though. It's too cold. Well, I, that's why it's that's why it's never been illegalized because because it's illegal in Mexico, it's illegal in America. So I think Canada yeah. just figured, look. If somehow you can get it from Mexico, out of Mexico, <laughs> through America and into Canada, you get to keep it and you can sell it. So like, you, so you can go like my friend had a store that, you you know, Chris Bennett had a store where you could buy a bag, a bag of Peruvian torch for one dose for 75 bucks. And, um, you, you know, there's still a store in town that has it because, you know, there's someone took his place and you can buy the full uh, uh, Peruvian torch or you can buy the. The other one, the the one that WB Yates used to do with Mod Gone, you can just buy the whole cactus and then prepare it yourself, or just buy a ziplop of of the stuff and brew it up. I had some friends in a band once who did, who uh, you know, we we messaged them at night. We're like, "What are you guys up to?" They're like, "We're riding the cactus," and we didn't hear from them for two days. And yeah, they, that was peyote <laughs> uh, intense trip. Well, I would like to try it at some point. Wait a minute, let's go back. Did you say William Butler Jace did something? What did he do? Yeah, him and Maud Gone would would you do peyote together? Really? I'm yeah. That. You know, probably probably shag, you know, shagging in the hotel and uh doing peyote. Yeah. He seems too square for me for, for, for me to believe that he was doing that. That's cool. It's in black <laughs> and white. Yes. You want you want to get some real interesting information on Golden Dawn original order stuff read the letters it's always in the letters right it's one of the last letters in here too she's like going on about how she would have been a good nazi and he's like he's like clearly had enough of he 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 dipped his toes into fascist thinking like everyone did and, and was like no no not for me but towards the end there in their last letter she's like doubling down on it a bit you know and he's <laughs> like ah. <laughs> then he died and she lived much longer but <laughs> that was such a shame such a great guy just the fact that he kicked uh, Crowley's ass to me that's like all-time all, all hero for me I mean he didn't people out there for some reason believe he like threw Crowley down the stairs and there's a meme going around but that's not true right like I don't know that's what no, I know he called the cons he called the constable and they confirmed that Crowley didn't have rights to the uh, the building and got and and that was that you know 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean, there's people out there who would know better than us um, that little in event, but not, no one was really, I don't think anyone actually recorded the minute, the play by play, but yeah, I don't think Yates, <laughs> the meme is hilarious. You've seen it probably right. Of, of Yates kicking Crawley down the stairs. I, it's, it's given me some t-shirt ideas for sure, but like, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, he went, Crawley went in and took a bunch of papers and tried to, declare it his and what's interesting about that story to me is how many other magicians have tried to emulate Crowley and do what Crowley did even though he clearly failed magnificently in that attempt but so many people model themselves on him and 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 issue Yates or or any of the you know and think you know Yates is the one who who's uh and you know I, I just think Gates is the more estimable and and sort of interesting character. Like if you had to be like, do you want to be the guy who like tried to like steal someone's apartment and all their shit? Or do you want to be the guy who like got that guy's ass kicked out for being a wanker? That's like, but I guess there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of wannabe Crowley's in the world for some fucking reason. Who knows? I mean, if you're into, I can't imagine why. Why is Crowley so po popular in your opinion? In my opinion, yeah, because of the Salt and Pepper's album, because of the Salt and Pepper, wait, Sergeant Pepper, Sergeant Pepper, <laughs> dude, Salt and Pepper should have done a song about Crowley. <laughs> no, I mean the yeah, Sergeant yeah. Pepper's album. You seen that album, right? Yeah, the, how it has a little picture of Crowley. In That's there. not why Crowley's famous. Why people want to be like Crowley? Yeah. Well, I think that I don't know. One time I was asking questions going back to the Golden Dawn. Because I was asking questions to my superiors. It's like, so where does our lineage come from? It's like, does it come from? And then one of them is like, well, it comes from Falcon. It's like, really? Because regardless, teacher was Crowley. And, you know, because he spent more time with Crowley. He, he was his freaking secretary. Yeah, but and then he, like, apparently Crowley, he never learned anything from Crowley. He like, according to him, regarding himself, said he didn't get any teachings from Crowley. He just was a just worked for him which i always found hard to believe especially given how much thelema got made its way into regardi's interpretation of things oh this is probably kind of like a revolution these kind of I, I bumped into this information my understanding i may be completely wrong the way in which chris monestra and regarding met was because regarding was looking for a therapist and he was looking for a therapist because he has some really deep psychological trauma laid basically caused by Crowley because of all the abuse that he had to put up with. Yeah. So Monestra, she, I guess, I, mean, I guess Patricia at this point, she um, just helped Rigardi with all this trauma. And I heard that there were like books of this, their sessions of course she probably destroyed them after she died or before she died or after she retired or shortly after she retired who did but, but it would have been so awesome to read what did crowley do to regardy that he had to go through like two or three years of therapy to uh, like <laughs> to basically feel kind of sane again <laughs> i mean it might be since we don't know it might be more fun just to make it up right now 
<laughs> what do you think? What do you think it was? I don't know. Probably maybe, maybe just, oh, I don't know. What do you think? I have no idea. I mean, I wish I could know the truth because like, I don't know. Crowley reminds me so much of my dad when he was drunk. It was probably just Crowley's attitude, just his, just his intensity as a person. Cause he was a very intense person. Right. He was just insane. <laughs> like, like, he's like my dad, you know, he got into like a fight for no reason, which he ended up losing almost all of them. Uh, he was just violent and kind of depraved. But that's like my dad drunk. That was the worst person. When my dad sober, he was the nicest person ever. And so kind of like Crowley reminds me so much of my dad drunk, you know, getting into stupid fights or like telling something to women that there's like women you're going to slap him for and just being abusive and scary as heck, you know? And so Crowley always rubbed me in, in into that type of personality and i'm pretty sure he didn't do this only to like some people i'm pretty sure he did it to a lot of people especially regarding to who worked so closely with him and you may be right he may like regarding may have never learned anything from crowley because he probably had nothing to really teach i mean he was just on his own little boat you know and making up his own stuff and so kind of like the what is that called the iowas or the iowas what was his familiar? His, Iowa was was his familiar, right? That was his HGA, yeah. Oh, yes, uh, HGA. Sorry, sorry for the misnomer, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. And so, he, um, you know, kind of like made up his own stuff, and a lot of it was kind of like him on his own, and with some of his background in the GD, and and so he became famous, I think, because of pop culture, like. Mr. Crowley, uh, Black Sabbath, and uh, Sgt. Pepper's uh, album cover, and that perpetuated a culture of Crowleyanism. And then it was taken up by like the OTOs and you know other groups that he was involved with. But it certainly uh, was Crowley is undeniably an icon of seventies, sixties, maybe eighties uh, pop culture for sure. I think that is why he's so big. That's my opinion. Yeah, I guess that was probably the resurgence for sure. Yeah. But so Rigardi, of course, his lineage comes from the Golden Dawn Temple. He was initiated into uh, uh, Hermes Bristol. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, but he, he, he was never an adept. So he couldn't pass on the, the, he couldn't, he could not pass on the charter, I guess, should we call it. And in fact, I heard stories from Holler. Where Holler asked them, he's like, can you give me a charter? And then Rigardi says, like, I can't because there's no charter to give. And then he's like, I can help you as much as I can, but uh, there's no charter to give. And then he also helped out another friend of mine, Poke Runyon. And, uh, oh, you know Poke as well, eh? Yeah, yeah. he have been to his house many times. Yeah, and so Polk used to ask him questions. He's like, well, this is what I want to do. It's like, what will you call it? It's regarding, it's like, well, it's not really Golden Dawn, and it's not really OTO, so I don't know what you want to call it. And then Polk is like, what about OTA? Yeah, let's go with that. All right. <laughs> so he took it on, and I think to this day, he's still doing his OTA thing, so that's great. Yeah, he I was, was just, just down the street from me when I was in California for 14 months before COVID, and I didn't realize he was so close to me in Sebastopol, I think it is, right? Um, in California or wherever, somewhere like that. But yeah, I, I should have gotten in touch with him because I hadn't, I, you know, I, I only knew him in 97 for 
a week when he was out at one of our events and and that was really cool because you know i didn't know he was into ninjutsu at the time but you know i would love to have gotten to spend some more time with him but i don't know yeah uh those guys the rich uh, the ritual of the link which falcon used to pass on uh lineage i guess it wasn't really developed then and it seems like it was developed out of some rudolf steiner practices by Falcon or Falcon made it inspired by Steiner, by his interactions with Steiner, something like that. These are bits of the history that we'll never probably fully know um, because it's just, you know, almost because, you know, probably because of the burning of all the records by what's his name in in Fadi Ra when, when he shut down the temple, Dadelzin, Dadzelzin, I can't say his name, but the guy who, the guy who closed down the, Smaragdum Talasis temple in New Zealand they burned like 80% of the stuff it's like oh oh I've always had such a thing against people who burn that stuff or think you know so many people are proud of burning these things it's like it just always to me it seems so fucking selfish like like we got we got ours and we don't want anyone else to get theirs like you know these these no, mysteries are think- just for us and, and you can go to hell. Now, there is a Rosicrucian legend, and I kind of believe it, that it says that once an order is uh, brought from the ashes, its fire, its, its fire, you know, burns. And, but then that fire is supposed to last a, a, a certain period of time. But more, but with that fire, more knowledge will be discovered. And as the knowledge is discovered, then that flame has to die to bring the birth of a new flame. And so the golden dawn, in my opinion, is good that it's dying. It's good that it it just, because now if we were to create a new golden dawn, if we want to call it that, we have so much more information to make it better. Like the cabal is way more accurate. The angelic stuff, holy boy! Now we have so many more books that, like Skinner, uh, I mean, like they they have like uncovered so much cool stuff. Yeah, if yeah. we were to recreate a Golden Dawn, we have so much more information to make it more accurate. So that legend is true. The flame that the Golden Dawn lit up. Now you have all these people that have published all these books, and I have that have found all these different sources. Uh, now we're now we have the tools to build something even better, in my opinion. It's why I love doing what I teaching so much. Like I teach my weekly class, right? And I have my wealth of experience from the Golden Dawn tradition and other traditions, of course, like you know, other traditions. But but what I get to do now is, in my opinion, way better than in other. Aside from the fact that. You you know you're not doing the initiations and all you have a full temple and all that, but the teaching process, the information we can work with is just is much better. And and like yeah, um, there's still some things that are hard to figure out. I was trying to do some research on the angel uh, Zeniel, um, which is the the archangel for the path of Gimel, and I think I think search engines have changed. Like zero things came up online. Like Google search in DuckDuckGo doesn't work anymore. I tried to search an image from a famous tarot card, like a famous one. And I went through thousands of hits on the search engine. 
every mm-hmm. hit was just for so something unrelated on social media or mm-hmm. to buy some unrelated tarot deck on Amazon or some other place that nothing to do with what I actually typed in, which is a very common image from a very popular deck. That image, the image never was found. Google and DuckDuckGo couldn't find a popular comment. Now I know where to find that image, but I was sure, curious what related things might come up to do, you know, where people commented on. No blogs came up, no personal websites, nothing. All just how to buy different fucking shit. And like, <laughs> and, or someone's post with a hashtag angel. So it's like, check out this Instagram <laughs> post and hashtag angel. And of course you follow the link and it's like OnlyFans or some garbage like that. You're like, ah, get me offline now but yeah it's hard it's 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 hard to still there's still some mysteries and and things that are hard to find out there um but but generally we have so much better knowledge and and so much uh yeah it's just it's we're spoiled uh with all the different things like so i i'm glad i'm happy to say like i love the education i got in the golden dawn as, as you did yours and working with chris must have been fun because she's a legend um and uh but 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 like what i teach now compared to what we i was taught and versus what i was teaching 25 years ago it's it's night and day what i'm teaching now is 10 times better if not 100 times better and more full than what i we had access to then it's just there's no comparison there's no comparison you could name any one of our like you could name skinner Stratton Kent, even Frater Acker, magicians who are seriously taking historical magic into their temples, working with it and coming up with amazing new insights and methodologies. It's just very exciting. And we we got and we got people like, you know, um, in the Golden Dawn world, we have, you know, a lot of good new stuff come out from Pat Zaleski and Nick Farrell and Tony Fuller. And um, maybe one day Cosmilos will drop a drop a book on us or something i don't know he's a little mysterious but he or she whoever they are um but yeah there's there's some you know the golden dawns had a resurgence like you know when i when i joined the temple to hootie i thought the golden dawn had died out ages ago and i was just looking for a group of serious occultists to learn from to seriously practice with that's all i wanted i didn't give a shit like what group or what order it really was i did certainly didn't think the golden dawn was anything special or even still alive now we know like there's now we know there's lots of lineages and different trunks of the you know, branches of the tree still alive um from from the original days um and it never really died out at all unlike uh unlike people thought so you know it's going to keep growing in different forms there's people like you know sam scarborough who are keeping it in its sort of pure state you know it's very original state and that's good i'm really glad that's out there for people to do it's like do you want to go through the golden dawn with just the way they went through it then with just the meditations and you know the lrp and the middle pillar and nothing else in the outer order you can do that that's fucking awesome um if you want to join a more modern group that does all kinds of stuff including initiating people in through the grades in a, a random order there's those groups out there um and you know it might be the right group for some people i've recommended people to some of those groups i wouldn't recommend most people to some of those groups but it's like you know what you're gonna have a good time with that group go check them check them out and sure enough they're having a blast you know so 
you know, it's not it's not my place to be dogmatic. I certainly have no desire to be. I'm I'm very interested though in taking the the impetus that existed within the Golden Dawn as far as like a structure of education. I think the 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 way they created a structure for learning from the elements to the to the planets to the zodiac that can't be beat. I think as far as a a, a learning process is concerned. I agree. I enjoyed my time there for sure. Yeah. I don't regret it. All the parties that I didn't go to, I don't regret. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. I would sometimes like I would I would drive home from downtown back up the mountain after like an initiation or a ceremony on a Saturday and it would be like, "Oh, it's it's only 12:30. I'll swing by my best friend's house who's having a party and get there and i'd be buzzing off energy and some of my friends they would see it and they'd be like they were drunk right because there's high school right and they would like have to leave the room because they're like i can't be around you after when you come back from that place when i'm when i'm drunk or stoned because you're just too pure and it makes me feel bad about being me um, and uh you know i would go there and get to interact with all the people and just then head home and they'd be like how could you miss the party it's like Dude, you don't you, you they could never understand what we were doing with our time. <laughs> I was busy chanting in a black robe. That's an interesting point. So what was the minimum age to belong to the GD in the Sink Temple? Was there a minimum age? In what temple? The Sink Temple, or at least the one that you were in? Temple Tahuti. Um, I mean, the order I think had uh required you to be 18 or 19 or something like that, but there was exceptions made. Nineveh Shadrach was uh, let in at 16. Uh, Edward Reeb, Frater BT, from the Esoterinary Podcast, 16. And uh, uh, another Sor was allowed in at 16, who later dated him, uh, Sor P, and she's she's pretty well known. And I reconnected with her recently. We had a nice zoo video call, and she's doing good. Um, and then there was me, who was 15. But, you know, my parent, my mom had to come interview with Nineveh Shadrach and meet see the place and meet them all and uh and sign a waiver um because age 15 is below the age of consent in Canada so if, I didn't think about this at the time but if someone had like put their hands on me they'd have a legal issue right you know so they didn't let me attend classes till I was 16 which is the age of consent here um and once I was 16 I was allowed to attend group classes I, they were just trying to protect me from any adults that might want to mess with a 15 year old boy I guess but again I didn't realize that at the time that didn't even occur to me at all and it took uh it was like a six seven month debate process down in LA about whether or not they'd even let me in and there was adepts voting against it and voting for it and they all they all eventually over the next seven years turned around we're like man we're so glad we let you in you're awesome so it was great it was, <laughs> you know cool. i uh i i knew where it was meant to be i guess um I, to be fair it's like what's the chances what are the odds that you're gonna you let in a 15 year old and yeah. that this law you know and that they will be serious about it and they will be doing it you know when they're 42 True. So like you know very very small odds of that working out so i'm glad they took a chance on me I, I like to think that my own my own spirit guides and familiars and higher self were very actively well they led me there for a reason right i am glad they accepted you as well yeah otherwise i would probably would have had a very different life just probably been a yeah. regular average sort of geeky theater kid who 
probably I probably would have become one of those early Twitch streamers playing video games instead of someone who, you know, reads many languages, has had a adventurous, fantastic life, and still to this day can't play does i don't even have video games on i don't even have computers new enough to function with video games you know i will i hope to be able to play some again sometime but you know it's just not a thing my life took a very different course and i'm really glad for that because uh i'd probably be richer if i had you know just played video games and dungeons and dragons my whole life ironically ironically <laughs> i always knew that if i just focused on that i could be rich and i always told my parents i'm like you know what one day video gamers are just going to be fucking millionaires and and you don't even know what you're talking about because they'd be like if you play those games you're going to ruin your life it's like no no you're you're at if you had done it seriously from the age we were involved those mm -hmm. kids are those kids are now like big twitch stars and they make crazy money right some of them yeah yeah anyway Whereas you're not going to make a million bucks in occultism. <laughs> not e it's not even a chance, really. Um, but sure. video games? Yeah, you could just play video games 24-7. And... <laughs> anyway, it's so weird. Life's life's wacky, man. What else do you want to talk about before we wrap up? Uh, what other topics can we do for, say, our last half hour here? I don't know. You want to keep talking about it? I have to go to the bathroom first. <laughs> Whatever you want, we can we can call it here. Um, I can come back, but we can, otherwise we have to we need an intermission, bro. All right, go pee. Okay, I'll be back. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll do a musical interlude. <laughs> All right, very well. <clears throat> Plus, uh, the the video. I so far I've only been putting the videos, uh, the full videos on uh, on Patreon now because YouTube has new rules, and uh, and it's really it really it really hit my account hard. Um, like so, the swearing, uh, discussing uh, certain uh, certain medical procedures and and uh, illnesses. Um, now like get you really punished on YouTube and they shadow ban you really fast. They, they, they throttle your account. So it's like my account got throttled super fast when those changes came in. Cause I have long form podcasts where, you know, where I'm doing fake ads for adrenochrome as a fake intermission, right? Like you've heard those. <laughs> have you heard any of those? I have not, but I, oh, okay. We'll do one here. Okay. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We would like to thank our sponsors adrenochrome get your two-for-one adrenochrome today use code word epstein at checkout <laughs> back to the interview all right so we're back talking with jorge quinones <laughs> and uh thanks to our sponsors of course um yeah so that sort of thing you know that's on tons of podcasts stuff like that goofy shit it was lockdown you know uh it was it was lockdown we were i wasn't allowed to do anything for almost three years um so we had some fun, but now with the algorithm changes, that's uh, really punished me hard. Um, so it is what it is, you know, whatever. I got unbanned on Facebook, so that's good. Um, it was just an algorithmic thing, I think, that blocked me. They wanted, they want a phone number. They won't let me sign into my account now unless I do ha get a text to a, my phone every single time I sign in, which is just fucking insane. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So I missed all the stuff to do with Ed's memorial and funeral. Yeah, Paul Edward Rana. 
and uh because i was locked out and i couldn't be a part of grieving for my friend which sucked yeah zuckerberg can suck a big dick i feel so sad that uh can't die rana die that is so sad to me ken yeah kent oh yeah yeah and and we also in the golden dawn world lost augustin reyes who was a really nice guy and really cool uh golden dawn adept with uh the collegium spiritus sancti i think that's the name of that order he was in but originally was in ours just years after uh i left yeah that is so sad it's so crazy too especially rana i was like oh my gosh are you serious when i read that i was like are you serious yeah i couldn't i was in shock and I, I reached out to a to a guy that, I'm, that 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 you know he knows him really well, and then he checked, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so sad. At first, I thought it was like an April Fool's joke or something, but oh my gosh, that is just devastating. I mean, he's like such an awesome guy, you know, such yeah. an awesome guy, full of life. He used to like he just like I don't know. At least for me, like he made me afraid of being alive because how alive he just looked like he lived. You know, it's like live it's like life. If he's living, what time. am I doing? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's like this is the type of guy like live life to the fullest. And then like talking to him is like you know that he valued his time very well. He was super nice, but he valued his time and he will allow you to have the time that you needed but nothing more, which is awesome, you know? And so I, I, I was, I was, I was, I was shocked when I, when, when I found out. Yeah. Yeah. May he rest in rockin'. He liked the rockin'. Yeah. Yeah. He was a very, he was a, played an active role in, in my little hermetic mystery school. Um, you know, and especially since now we're doing, we're using Tomberg's meditations on the tarot as a thematic guide through different ritual practices for the next two years. He was a big part of filling in the blanks for me because I'm not a Martinist. So the, the little at the bits of that book that are especially Martinist, he would, he was helping me identify because, you know, he can say this is uh this is that and this is that. And not many people can because you couldn't just be a Martinist and identify those things. You also need to be a Golden Dawn adept to not get those. So you'd know where the differences lie and not confuse one with the other. And you have to know that book. You have to know Meditations on the Tarot. And uh, he just was uh, really, yeah, my students miss him. It was a big shock to all of us. And he did a great Shem Hamafresh lecture for us uh, a while back. And that's still available for people. Yeah, I think and, I saw Mm. Yeah. yeah i might put it on youtube for a while just so people can appreciate it and enjoy it um it's Im embedded into one of uh into you know it's it's there for member you can just join hermeticmysteryschool.com and access it in the cyber guild for free it's just there for people who want it um but fuck man it's so it's so heartbreaking especially you know an accident a stupid accident and so young, so young. Man. I, I don't even. I don't even know how he died. I mean, I respect their, their like, his privacy, so I'm not gonna. Pry. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a firearm accident. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that really sucks. Well, we can't end on this dour note. 
I did a whole podcast. Let's end with aliens. Fuck yeah. yeah. I did a whole podcast with Jeff already, and we we honored Paul as best we can, and he's gonna live in our memories forever. But he would want us to to uh, not end on sadness. So in his in the memory of 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 in Ed's memory, we'll we'll end on aliens. What's going on with aliens? I mean, obviously, I'm not talking about the fucking balloons they're shooting down, but what's going on with aliens? Not this uh not this psyop. The psyop thing. I think well, that they're distracting us from the Ohio disaster and from other things, right? Like, no, I put five hundred million to the Ukraine, but not a penny for 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 East Palestine. Well, I I I, I don't read the type of alien information. <laughs> I'm a, I don't know. My profession, I'm an electrical engineer, and I studied like a, a little bit of like relativity and quantum mechanics. Okay, and so last year's um, Nobel Prize papers, I was like, what in the heck? It's like, these guys are talking about aliens. And it's like, these are scientific papers that are talking about multiple dimensions and how three-dimensional reality comes into being from a two-dimensional domain, I guess, shall we call it? I don't know what is the word that they use in the paper. But this is the way I look at aliens. I don't think that aliens live in other planets. That's the way, at least for me. It's like, because my dad got me into aliens since I was like really little. And so in, in Mexico, there used to be these magazines called Duda. And they talked about aliens. Like there had to be a one or two articles in there about aliens. And I don't know where the guys, these guys got their information, but a lot of them came from Peru. So I heard like some really strange stories about aliens. And a lot of the perception that Americans have about aliens, it is like very primal. It's like the stories that come from Peru or they come from Mexico. Like, I, I don't know. It's like, I've seen lights that I cannot comprehend. Some of my relatives have videos of lights that hover and people that will, little things that come out of those ships or whatever you call it and they're like hopping around or like jumping around and then it's like it's like how did my like my family they're like you know they're like poor they they and they never share this stuff with anybody but why how what will they gain from like wanting to make a video not that they can because they have no expertise to make a video like this anyway but you look at the video i was like what the heck and then i've seen weird stuff and but the way Americans sometimes look at aliens is very, very like conspiracy theories instead of supposed to like try to understand it from a from a um, scientific point of view, which is the way I like to see it. And so, though, for example, I I, I love where uh, in high school, one of my chemistry teacher got me to read this book called Hyperspace by Michio Kaku, and. In this book, he starts explaining how in super string theory, there are 11 dimensions. And so, okay, so if there are 11 dimensions, then is there space in those dimensions? Could it be possible that some type of intelligence lives in one of those dimensions? And so now that you read this Nobel Prize paper on how the third dimensional reality came to being from a two-dimensional dimension then do you start thinking it's like is this some kind of like a program that we are a program and now like there are also scientific papers that says that we are a holographic program 
And so if we are a holographic program in three dimension and kind of four dimension, where we made from we had to be made from another dimension. It's kind of like programming where you have to like like programming arrays. Like you are in one array and then that array gives birth to the other array and then that pro that array gives birth to to the to another array. And so this reality can be just a program made by something else. And this is one of the things that it always eluded me to think that I am not my body. It's like when I wake up, I have to like uh, come to the like. It, it takes me a second to realize, oh, is this guy again? <laughs> you know, it's like I am, and, and then like something happens to my arm, and it's like, oh my gosh, where did I get that bruise? It's like I am not my body. Obviously, it's like I am something that lives inside my body. And so, if we were created from another domain or dimension, whatever you want to call it maybe the thing that's inside of me was or originated from another dimension or another place and it just happens to in to inhibit to to live inside my body does that make sense yeah and so i think that the only people that have that type of control is entities or intelligences that live in other dimensions so whenever i think about aliens i don't think about beings from another planet that somehow evolved I think about intelligences of beings in other dimensions that somehow control us. And then I read this book called Interview with an Alien with a supposedly this Irish lady that talked to the alien up in uh, Area 51. Then the whole story, the whole book can be like completely fictional, but the postulates that it lays down are incredible. Like for example, that this is a prison planet that the reason why we're even here is because we were disobedient or we were rebellious in another realm or we were captured in another battle. And therefore they leave us in these bodies as a way to be imprisoned. And then that our bodies are supposed to last longer, but there's something that they, and then when we die, we lose our memories. I mean, the whole concept is like super crazy, but it, to me, it makes sense. <laughs> Because, very, that's a very Gnostic idea, right? Yes, that, that that's also the, the the other thing that he see that 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 this woman alludes to that, uh, and also I think I don't know when was it published or whether actually the original manuscript is supposed to be as old as the book claims that it that it is. But if you can definitely marry uh, the Gnostic concepts of the Nahamari, um with the perception of this woman about or at least the description of this woman about aliens regardless of who wrote this book yeah it's just yeah. it just goes like hand in hand yeah he's like he's talking about he's talking about like uh, there are different levels of intelligence and these different levels of intelligence have these different types of powers and sometimes they fight you have the archons and the eons also i mean it's like it's, it's, it's it can be viewed very gnostic but it's more viewed from a very high technological perspective. Sometimes I think we really prevent ourselves from even perceiving that, that even contemplating that type of thinking. Because I think that the Catholic Church and even Darwin have caused great harm to the human psyche overall. Like the fact that we think that we are 
that we evolved into who we are, or supposedly we were bacteria, and now we are these complex life forms. To me, mathematically, it doesn't make sense because most of life is chaotic. Everything dies. If you throw a rock on the water, it you know, it's like there's chaos and then just the waves dissipate. The concept of thermo, like the, the concept of thermodynamics is chaos and everything loses heat. And so the fact that we can work in reverse, to me, is almost impossible. It's like it's against the laws of thermodynamics. The fact that you can go from a bacteria or a mitochondria to a complex human life form, to me, doesn't make mathematical sense. I'm not saying that it's um, probabilistically impossible because it is probabilistically possible, but it is just not likely. It is just that there's so much chaos in the universe that I think we were made, or at least our bodies were made for a particular purpose. It's like the distance, I mean, like the balance that we have on the earth to just be al being alive is just miraculous. Like the levels of the water, the way water behaves, uh, you know, atmospheric pressure, uh, temperature, how our bodies are dependent on plants and, you know, you know, acid, amino acids. It's just like, it's just miraculous for the the humans to exist. And so I, I, I would like to subscribe more to the idea that we were manufactured than to be evolved. And that's my perception of aliens, if that somehow makes sense. <laughs> <clears throat> so so uh, not interplanetary, but interdimensional. For sure. What, what do you think about uh, the relationship between what we call spirits and aliens? spirits and aliens i mean now we're having and now we're getting to a point where we're starting to understand that now that ai is starting to become so predominant i think we're starting to understand what the heck does that mean i mean yeah. for example in this book the alien interview the alien saying that i mean the woman is asking him well how long are you and then the alien saying is like, well, my body is about, it's like, I don't forget what it says, it's like 1.5 million years old. And then the woman is asking him, is like, how are you able to live that long? And then he says, so like, well, there's this material that we get out of Proxima Centauri system and they're able to manufacture the bodies. And in fact, that is why I'm here talking to you because my body is not finished yet. Once my body is finished, I will be able to inhibit, to, to, basically live, go live in it. And so our bodies are supposed to last 1.5 million years. And then it's like, in fact, your body, she's, he, the alien saying, is supposed to live 150 years based on the design. So basically saying is like, the people that imprisoned you designed your bodies and we kind of know how long are they supposed to live based on that design. It's kind of like an engineer talking about another engineer. And so, I don't know. That's the way I look at, at aliens to try to try to somehow make sense. And it also kind of makes sense because I don't know if you heard some stories where some people have, in fact, tried to approach aliens <clears throat> and the aliens either disappear or. Or they just kind of like flash something to the like to keep people away. And also you have those like uh, stories about 
Yes, yeah, fighter airplanes trying to get close to aliens or trying to analyze them. And then once they try to get close, the the, 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 the alien ships just kind of like hover away like really fast. So it is obvious that these aliens don't want to don't want to have anything to do with this, like nothing, zero. And then, according to this book, the Ellen interview, sorry to keep quoting it, it says it's like because if they were to talk to you, they will you will start to recover memories of who you were, and if you start to recover those memories, then therefore your prison can start to break down. Because once you die, you may be able to escape if you have some of the memories of who you were and what is your true nature. But if you only think that you're a body, once you die, you will just get reincarnated into another body and you know the prison will be perpetually long. But if you think, but if you start to find out the truth about who you truly are, then you might be able to escape. And they don't like that. And I thought about that and I thought it's like, well, man, that kind of makes sense because they don't like these aliens or whatever they are, or I mean, because it's hard to really negate the evidence that these things have been there. It's like now there are so yeah. much, there's so much video, there's so much like now things that it is, and even the CIA has come down with like now, like papers where they're saying it's like, this is like they don't call it UFOs now. What do they call them? Um, they UAPs, unidentified yeah, they, aerial phenomena. Yeah, there you go. There's like now there are these these things, and we don't know what they are. And so now even the CIA cannot really deny the fact that these things are somehow there. And so, but then you have to figure out what the heck are they? Yeah. You know? Well, at least that's that, that, that's the way I see. It. It's I mean, fascinating. I, I mean, I really hope we we get some some serious understanding some just even the next step in our lifetimes would be nice like i'm not i'm not hopeful for too much but like if we just just one more step before now you know because i think we will know a lot more but not not in our lives necessarily um yeah. but if we just even knew a tiny bit more it would be so cool um because something's going on uh, something's violating the laws of physics or suggesting that there we don't fully understand physics of course of course right like yeah it's 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 exciting in that in that regard you have you ever seen that bob lazar interview with joe rogan yeah like to me that is like such a like that is one of like the best explanations of how their ships work yeah i mean it's just I mean, it just makes, for me, complete sense. And now there's actually a Mexican guy. Prove that it works. <clears throat> there's a guy named Alcubierre, who is, uh, he came up with the physics for how to basically make holes within the space-time fabric. And then it was hard for him to, like, try to design a ship around this. Even Neil deGrasse says that it will work. But the physics don't make sense because you have to create like half like anti anti-matter or anti yeah anti-matter as an engine for these spaceships or ships or planes whatever you want to call them and then these other guys i'll send you the link to uh to, to this guy and to the guys who have proposed how to create the engines for for these ships but the physics now works that the 
the ship basically does not propel with like uh, exhaust. Yeah, it, just, it propels itself by making holes within the space-time fabric. Yeah, it's kind of like when you make a bubble inside of water. Like if you make a bubble inside of water, of course, the uh, whatever uh, uh, object is going to follow the path of least resistance, and <clears throat> and as it does, it's going to go towards the air as opposed to the water, because there's less resistance in the bubble of air than there's resistance in the water. So when you break the, where you bend or make a hole in the fabric of space and time, you're basically creating a bubble. And if you're able to create that bubble perpetually through like a long tube, then you're able to just travel through the space, the, you know, through that hole inside the space-time fabric. So you no longer need the exhaust. You're just yeah. letting the bubble take you. Yeah. And and the, and the physics already there. So it's it's very exciting. It's very exciting to me. Yeah, that is very exciting. I was never an aliens person until the early COVID uh, uh, statements by the U.S. government that, you know, there's aliens or there's spaceships, you know, like cause I, I was always like, you know, once, once, once the, I needed something confirmed before I ever invested too much time into looking into it. But once the government, once the government was like, yeah, we, this is not all us. I mean, maybe some of it's the government's, but, but not all of it. Certainly the government doesn't know how to break the laws of physics yet, or if they did, they wouldn't be wasting Elon's time with his rocket thing. Well, actually uh, there's an interview where, uh, Tyson DeGraw is telling Elon Musk that he should not invest his money on his rockets, that he should be investing his money onto this uh, Alcubierre's physics. Hmm. Because those rockets have a high probability that they may not land safely on Mars, and if they do land safely on Mars, that there is a very even less probability that they can come back. Hmm. But these Alcubierre ships can appear and disappear whatever the heck they want you know it's like when they basically bend the space and time it's just like in fact i think alcubierre his test talk or i think his test talk is called going to proxima santari in the morning and coming back for dinner <laughs> man can you imagine actual space space travel like that like if we had like that sort of Star Trek level space travel, man, that would be fucking so cool. Oh, no, but, but it goes back to like the the prison that we live in, because according to some of the physics, our bodies, the way they are, they cannot travel in those ships, because I guess there's a type of radiation that it that the ship builds up when it travels through these space time bubbles, that it will destroy the body. And so the bodies cannot travel like that. So therefore, we will have to create a type of robot, like this alien was describing, a, a certain type of robot that has somehow our consciousness within these robots to be able to travel like that. And and so, so our bodies are prisons. They're very delicate, flimsy prisons. And also they don't live very long <laughs> no they don't they don't even live 150 years you know and i, I personally blame that on genesis 6 1 to 4 of course <laughs> if it hadn't been for those damn indiscretions no um do do you think uh after we die is the beginning or the end after we die 
it's a new cycle. It's a whole new cycle. cycle. You think it's a new cycle of the same thing or cycle of a different cycle somewhere else? Um, I don't know. Have you ever heard of the Institute of Noetic Science? Yeah. They have made, uh, them and another oh, ecologist have made some studies on reincarnation. And one thing that happens about reincarnation is that sometimes your reincarnated bodies, they have memories of previous lives that they have before. Of course, they had, they have, they had absolutely no way of knowing that information that they had, these new people. But the information is always slightly wrong. The time is a little wrong, or certain facts are a little wrong. Most of it is accurate, but sometimes certain times off or certain events are off. So I think that when we die, something very similar happens in which we are basically jumped into a, a similar reality, but it's likely different or in another time or in another uh, or, or in, the, in the past or in the future. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how it works. Um, I don't know the best way. I don't know the, the best theory to try to back that up. I don't know. It's probably the Bhagavad Gita. I don't know. <laughs> You know, the Bhagavad Gita with the reincarnated whatever's based on um, on the life that you lived. Um, it it kind of makes sense. It also goes back to that Jesus saying, it's like, what you what, what you bring with you is what, is, what, is what you take with you, you know? So if you reincarnate into, if you reincarnate or you stay up there with whatever it is that you build up in this life, is what you're going to live up there with, you know, or in the next life. So it's kind of like Bhagavad Gita kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, that was my Bible growing up as a kid. That's what, you know, we uh, grew up in the Eastern uh, Rig Veda. I've still got the big <laughs> copy of the Rig Veda my mom would read when we were little. And yes. um, yeah, yeah, it was it was special. Um, I didn't realize it at the time, but but now looking back, it's like that was pretty cool, you know, to <laughs> you grow up as a, in a in a eastern yoga cult um <laughs> you know i mean maharishi is a character he had all the he had the royals royces just like osho or a lot of those other gurus but but he he had he definitely had a presence um and there's nothing wrong with his system of meditation i mean it's essentially a the basic form is a, essentially a variation on the cloud of unknowing but I think mantra repetition meditation is probably universal in a lot of cultures, if not all of them. Um, what's interesting from a magical point of view that might be that I've thought recently that might be different from what people would expect is that the initiate you could say, so I used to say, don't bother with transcendental meditation because you don't need to pay the thousand, two thousand bucks to get the the mantra you could just use a, any word from the bible or you know the cloud of unknowing style and repeat that and get, have the same experience but as i've aged and matured as a magician over the last 20 years it occurred to me wait a second what about the initiations i went through in in 1988 and then in 1991 i had to go through the two initiations um if you come to it as an as an adult, you only go through one initiation. But you know, led into a dark room alone as a as a kid at seven, and then at ten, and 
altar with all the gurus and the guru lineage and the incense and the whole thing. And it's a full ceremony and they invoke the, these ancestors and these prophets and saints and these other spirits and gods to do things to you and to bless you with this mantra and to work upon you in a very similar way to like what we see in other magical initiations. Um, I mean, in masonry, there's no spirits being invoked to act upon the candidate like, but in the golden dawn there is, and in a lot of other magical traditions, there's the initiations are very magical with spirits being compelled or directed or requested to do things to the candidate from now on. And that is done in transcendental meditation. So you have these gurus, ascended masters, essentially, being invoked to take action upon your soul and upon your life as you use those mantras. So I was like, oh, it's actually a lot more sorcerous than, than I used to think, because that's significant, right? I mean, as a magician, I could never now deny the effectiveness. And it's sort of crazy, right? Anytime you ask spirits to constantly act upon someone, that's a thing. That's a very noticeable thing, in fact. Um, and uh, yeah, so that that sets it apart from basic mantra meditation in a way, because that's a magical uh, component. So I think, yeah, it's that's uh, it's interesting to 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 grow up that way with spirits being, you know, <laughs> an ancestor. It's it's it is interesting. It's definitely interesting. I mean. I mean, I'm I'm glad that I had a conversion experience. I'm glad that I converted to to Christianity. I'm very happy in my my faith as an Anglo Catholic. Um, that works for me for who I am today. But you know, I've never stopped meditating. Um, that's for sure, and uh, I never will. Um, so, if there's any chance uh, that somehow that could I guess lead us to a better hereafter or a more interesting adventure in the next life. Um, I don't know if I necessarily want to come back here. Every psychic my mom took me to as a kid always said I wasn't coming back, but you know, I don't know what that means. I'm not convinced that reincarnation is a real thing. Could I'm open to being wrong, but again, uh, you know, I think here the reason is because I think I think it is if it's real, I do believe it's provable. I believe we will scientifically prove it if it's real. I believe that about reincarnation and a number of other things. Is there any spiritual practices that you believe can and will be proven scientifically that just haven't been yet? No, because it goes back to like what I was saying, because they're mental. You cannot prove mental stuff because it just it is it is very subjective and so you cannot just pinpoint subjective experiences because they're but they're arbitrary everybody has their own different experience and so anything that is mental you can it's like i don't know like i read this book called um the one with the slime what's it called principles of neural science <clears throat> and so where schwartz is trying to map out mental processes inside this gigantic slime. Hmm. And so and so the so Schwartz said I was like, okay, so if it feels uh fear is gonna trigger in this part of the brain of the slime. 
and if or this part of like this line, whatever. Or if it, if it senses fire, it's gonna sense here. And if it senses joy, it's gonna sense here. If it senses water, it's gonna sense, sense here. Well, that works fine and dandy for slime because its neural networks is are, are so visually there. But the brain were able to break up to a certain point, which that's why like he won him and Kendall won a Nobel Prize. But the brain, the human brain is so complex and it works different for different people because there are different uh, neural patterns. And so based on our subjective experiences, we form neural patterns. And since we all have very different experiences, we all have different neural pathways. And so hmm. it's, it's difficult to prove something mental since there are since there are so many different neural pathways and networks, uh, or unless we're able to break it down to those basic um, parameters of like, okay, so if you have these neural pathways, then this particular experience is supposed to manifest itself in these neural path pathways, and then if you know, but then. There are so many different neural path, 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 path networks because we all have many different experiences. So I think it's very different. It's very difficult for me to prove anything mental, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Well, yeah. When I think about proving things, it's it's usually the mental things are harder. Um, I, I mean, reincarnation, I think, because it it's got physical memory based features. I think if it is a real thing and it will inevitably be proven like if people really are reincarnated from previous lives eventually like you know there's other explanations for where those memories could come from but if it really is a thing i think there will be data eventually to to sort of prove it if it's real but then there's other phenomenon like you know spirit evocation a bunch of there's a lot of uh heptameron and goetic magicians that say like uh like uh, john r king the the is it john king yeah, you know, uh, Mr. King in his imperial arts, um, he claims the, the goetic spirits manifest fully visibly to him and would be seen if someone else were present, but he can't do the rituals unless some with someone else present. So I don't know what to do with that. But like, I've seen physical phenomenon in lots of ritual work and evocations. And, you know, eventually someone might actually film some of it, you know, even it doesn't it wouldn't take much like a sphere of light over the any sort of anything over the triangle would be sufficient for a lot of people um if i'm just you know i'm sort of spitballing here just these are the these are the fanciful things we we play with at the end of a uh three-hour discussion of course or late into the night um but you know there's other things uh you know minor acts of clairvoyance telekinesis psychokinesis all of these sort of things you know um the lots of claims but no proof people people will listening to this some of the people will, of course be like oh there is proof you have to look at this thing you have to look at this girl in india or you have to look at this guy in india well a lot of those are faked and you can see the debunking videos about them but may I've, some of those things are possible per, perhaps and uh i don't know i'm just curious if there's any of them we all have our sort of uh our our pet our pet theories oh um about whatever um sort of psychical phenomenon we think might be we might find evidence for and so i was curious if you had any of those since you're you got such a broad base of experience 
evidence. No, everything's no. everything's subjective. Yeah, and that is the could be that way. Everything that's the beauty of it. It's like um, it's like Jesus. Sometimes it's like if you read like I don't know, you're a Christian, so you'll probably understand this. It's like Jesus refutes everyone and everything. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like people are following him. And then he turns around. He's like, "Why are you following me?" I was like, "Because we believe you're the master." No, you're not. You're following me because I fed you. Get the heck away from me. <laughs> Goes on and leaves. You know the same thing with like uh, I don't know the woman at the well, uh, the guy he cured from blindness. Is like he does all these great things for everyone, well, and then he just disappears. The woman who who healed herself by touching his robe, and. One of the, my favorite, most interesting lines in the Bible is when he said, when he felt the power go out of him, you know, like she touched his rope and saw what she's like, she's a vampire. She like sucked the power out of him and healed herself. <laughs> and she's like, how am I healed? And he's like, I didn't do it, but clearly she took his power and <laughs> it's her faith that healed him. Her faith healed her, her faith healed her, but yet she had to also touch his robe and the power went out of him. So there's a weird, it's like, it's like, it's like who the, whoever wrote that passage, whoever just transcribed it down or wrote it down from the oral tradition or the wall painting or whatever. Um, it's like they had a couple different stories or they didn't know how to wrestle with it uh, theologically or reckon it theologically. And so they're just like, this is what we got. This is what we heard. This is, you know, make what you will of it. It sort of speaks to, to, to different traditions at once, both the, the goetic magical practices that were common at the time, as well as to perhaps a theological agenda of the, the gospel writers themselves. Who knows? But it's fascinating to me. Yeah, and I also feel for them because it's hard to describe those things. It is. And, and then you have to write it in a weird type of Greek because you're not a native, you're not Plato. You know, you're not Aristotle, where you know have this gigantic like vocabulary Greek vocabulary. So you try to have to somehow writing in the whatever Greek that was is spoken in Jerusalem. You know, and so Sometimes the descriptions are kind of weird and the language is kind of poor. And then again, it's like, how the heck are you going to describe this? <laughs> it's just like, there's nothing to compare to. Yeah, well, they and were all so, speaking Aramaic, but often writing in Greek, in Koine. Yeah. Yeah, very weird, yeah. indeed. Yeah. We should probably leave it there, I guess. It's, we've, I think we've gone over three hours. This has been, like you said, we could go on forever. When you said we could go on forever, I was like, I don't know. Are we going to talk for five hours? Because we all know I've done five-hour podcasts, right? Yeah, I'm sure you've listened to every minute of them. Um, but they were always <laughs> good. They usually start earlier in the evening. This was going to be a late one, and I was totally down for it. I'm here for it. And thanks to everyone for listening to my lovely guest here, Jorge Quinones. Quinones or Quinones? Just Quinones, Quinones. See, I got it. I got a new D and D player in my D and D group, and he's uh, from Mexico. And his, him, and his girlfriend came out to my uh, little birthday at karaoke, and they're both really lovely. He works for. He's from Mexico. He, but he works here in marketing. I think he does marketing for like two other countries down there. Like, it's really weird. I'm like, what is going on? Why is someone from Mexico working in marketing to market to like Ecuador and Peru in Vancouver? I'll find out. I'll let you guys know next time when I find out more. But him and his girlfriend have very interesting jobs. And I'm like, I've never heard of Mexicans 
coming to Vancouver to work on marketing for non-Mexican South American countries. It's like, I was like, I was like, are you a spy? Are you, (laughs) (laughs) who cares? We just want to, we just want to roll D20, you know, sometimes. Do you have a, do you have any hobbies that keep you sane? Uh, Pickleball. Pico? Pickleball, yeah. Pickleball. Right, you mentioned that. Yeah. Pickleball. Pickleball. Cool. Pickleball is my thing. And of course, like any Mexican, I watch some soccer, you know. Somehow we didn't get to talk too much about Joseph Smith and Solomonic magic and Mormonism. But I, like I said, I have those photos that, that Damien sent me. Um, and I was going to have Dr. Cannon on to talk with me about them, though it's not, he doesn't know it inside and out. Maybe the three of us can just do a little review of those images. Um, and uh, yeah, and talk a bit about that, do a special little video episode for YouTube where we go through Damien's pictures because he's not, yeah, he just, he said, he said, go for it. Um, and we can comment on them and uh, discuss a little bit more about Joseph Smith's magical background. Uh, Dr. Cannon mentioned to me that that there's people, serious scholars who are actually on it. They're sort of they're investigating that there. There's good people on it. We don't need to worry about it. But I think it would still be fun to discuss it a little bit, especially since such lovely images were sent to me for this purpose by uh, Mr. Monsieur Eccles. That would be fun, eh? Yeah, for sure. I there's an there's a, an episode that talks about that in Cold yeah. Mormon Stories, Mormon Stories podcast. They have an episode about that from a PhD. Oh yeah, I'll have to you'll have to send me a link to that. I'll check that out. But yeah, there's let's let's much, try and do a little video thing on that. There's on not that. that much. There's not that much in it, to be honest. I mean, since we know, like, uh, like I think it could, a lot of the stuff came from Agrippa. Uh, but I forgot which book Joseph Smith had access to, but it was uh, kind of a derivation from the five books of Agrippa, and so he owned the, it. Is no, it is proven that either his dad or he had access to this book, and so these PhDs think that a lot of the stuff that he did uh, was based on the practices from this book. But they don't go into specifics as to what were the particulars of these practices because they don't understand it from a magical perspective. They understand it from a literary perspective, but they don't know the magic enough to know, oh, this is this ritual and this is what it's supposed to be doing. And so, you know, people like us, we could be, we have access to like evidence of. Or even you, it's not that hard to make conjectures on. Okay, so if you look at the hat with the stone, uh, which part of the ritual is he invoking, and or if he's talking to angels, uh, if we have a little bit more details as to like what was he doing prior to talking to these angels, um. Are we doing a, an invocation? Are we doing an evocation? Who was talking for these angels? So yeah, there's definitely a there's definitely room for the perspective of practical, or at least people that are more familiar with the works of Agrippa to contribute to the historical analysis of Joseph Smith using magic for sure. It's fascinating. Like I've never had any connection with Mormonism whatsoever. Um 
so the fact that it it interests me i think is a sign of how how interesting it really is it really is a uh, fascinating fascinating so uh, I show. I think I showed you some of the images Damien sent me, but if not, I'll send you the images because yeah, he. Well, I'll put them on a slideshow, and maybe you, me, and Dr. Sam Cannon, who's also a Mason and GD guy, we can do a little. Just share what we. Well, you guys can share what you guys know, and I'll ask uh, the the uh, the uh, the uh, neonate questions that the average person might wonder. Because I'm curious. I'd love to know more. I know you guys don't have all the answers, but it would be fun to hear about it from two Mormons with uh you know magical backgrounds and uh you know all of that that would be that would be super fun little video to make with you guys so that'd be a cool cool thing let's try and make that happen uh maybe by the end yeah. of the month cool all right yeah. brother, thanks do you want to shout out oh shout out shout out your uh channels uh your channels and whatever else you want people to know about this is my name Jorge Quinones, Mesoamerica. the youtube uh... channel is i'll link it below i'll link it folks mesoamerica America. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, good luck and keep keep doing the, the good videos and all that. You know, it's a I know how much work it takes. Um, sure, thanks. So uh I also just noticed that your patch that looked like the arm and hammer logo uh, doesn't say down. arm. It's it does it's, it's you got the arm and hammer logo, hammer. but it, it says armed and hammered. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord make me uh like make me make me uh make me pure but not yet <laughs> that's right all right it was great great times brother thank you very much have a great night yeah good night folks uh drop a go join his youtube channel subscribe do the thing with the other thing and the thing and make a comment thing and we'll see you next time. Have a great Diving deep into the practices and reality tunnels of the esoteric and the occult, check out Praxis Behind the Obscure podcast, where I interview practicing occultists, do book reviews, and much more. Check us out on YouTube, Red Circle, and many other podcast platforms. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.